0: Stay on target. Stay on target. Reed Rothbard. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Actual Anarchy Podcast. I love you. We're going to talk about the movie Idiocracy today for our Fourth of July Succession Day special. And uh, you can already hear our special guest, but we're going to introduce him. <laughs> In just a few minutes, but before we get to that, let's say a little Robert and uh, do a little bit of housekeeping first. How you doing, Robert? Hey, buddy, oh, I'm doing great. Loving life, living it out here in the jungle. What's going on with you? Uh, just celebrating Secession Day. I mean, it's a little bit early. We're pre-recording the show, but I'm already in the spirit. I'm I'm wearing blue and I'm white, and uh, I got some. I got a red cup here, so I'm I'm doing the full the full uh, nine. Uh, you know just living life in my shipping container studio office that I've got my new uh, foam paneling up. Well, I, it arrived today from Amazon. Yeah, uh, we we love Amazon here by the way. But I got black and gold, so we're going to we're going to do it right out here. Uh we're going to do idiocracy and we've got Adam Cockcash which is an amazing amazing uh guest to have and this is a movie that that he suggested he recommended. We've actually done this one time before during the Reed Rothbard days. That was back in December. I listened to it again today at one and a half speed and, uh, we didn't really talk about the movie a whole lot for the hour and a half that that episode is, but we did riff on a whole bunch of other things like fake news and Trump and, and things like that. And in a way, listening to it again makes me uh, think that we actually did a, a pretty decent job on it. Um, uh, you're always your, your harshest critic, uh, especially like right after we do a show. I'm, I'm usually not very happy with how it turned out, but then if I listen to it, you know, three, six months later, uh, I'll go and, and think. Wow, that, that actually wasn't so bad. I mean, but I can also see how we've advanced since then. So it's kind of a kind of an interesting interesting thing to to do when you start producing media, start producing content, and find little ways to improve uh, your message and your delivery mechanism. And I think that we've been trying to do that along the way. So uh, how you been doing otherwise? Uh, yeah, well, I think I'm dying. So that's a thing. So slow um, down. You're halfway through, man. You're 40. Uh, 41. Yeah, I think I'm about halfway done with this whole living thing. So it feels like once you're, you know, over 60, which it doesn't seem that far away anymore. I mean, what do people do after that? (laughs) You you could die at any day. Once you get to a certain age... It's just you stop buying, you know, green bananas and you you just you can just go at any time. And and if you do die, you're just like everybody else is like, Oh, oh yeah, that yeah. Right. Well, time. Yeah, I remember my uh, my grandfather back in the day used to um wake up really early, like four in the morning, every day. And yeah. I'm sure it was just because he was used to doing it for work for fifty years or whatever, but I was kinda of in the back of my head was like, old people wake up early just to make sure that they can still do it, man. They want to maximize their day. Yeah, and they can't they can't sleep. But yeah, um what was I gonna say? Fuck Oh, just uh you seem to just fall over dead if you don't have a purpose in life, so that's why people, you know, they retire and then they just fall over dead. So I think you just gotta have a purpose, a reason to live. That's fair enough. I think I think we've got a purpose going on. Yeah, maybe. I mean if we did this for another forty years, I don't know, but (laughs) Well, hopefully we're not still doing some two bit podcast, yeah, in forty years. And who's gonna wanna listen to a bunch of super old parts talk about Something like this. Who knows? So I was looking for my, like, kick-ass America Fuck Yeah shirt, because I have, like, a red emblazoned eagle pro-America shirt, but I think Jamie got rid of it. Oh. Uh, I once went to a, a secession day celebration. It was, like, July 4th, and I think somebody had, like, a, one of those. It just said Merica on it. It was, like, a bald eagle behind an American flag. It was looking all,
1: <laughs>
0: all tough. Merica. Merica. Fuck yeah. Merica. America. America. Fuck yeah! I'm gonna do something really shitty, America. Fuck yeah,
1: America.
0: Fuck yeah! Do it, Doug. The motherfucking day now. Get him, boys.
1: Yeah, thank you for that.
0: You're welcome.
1: All right, so how? You're lucky I,
0: I don't have a, that tape somewhere. I if I could find that tape, oh man! <laughs> It'd be on, son. Oh, it would be so money. You wouldn't even know it. Uh, any other housekeeping that we should do, Robert? Um, we are already recording a bunch of stuff for our Patreon subscribers, so if anyone wants to get in on that, uh, check us out at patreon.com slash Rothbard and support us at uh, one of the levels I'm going to list up there, and you'll be able to see That
1: was the our... best part of today's show by far, was the, <laughs> the free show. Like, it's all, it's all downhill from here. <laughs> Alright, I, so... I got my, my taco bell, and we're going to watch Idiocracy. Like, no, we, we got all the intelligence stuff out just for the patrons, so if you're not a supporter of this show yet, find the link, Patreon. Do it. All Money. right, so
0: that that's our guest, everyone, jumping the gun, jumping the gun, and uh, <laughs> he's all fucked up, talks like a fag, and his shit's retarded. It's Adam yeah. Kokesh, everyone. Adam Kokesh is our guest. How are you doing, Adam? Thanks for joining us.
1: Welcome to freedom. I love you. Okay.
0: <laughs> so, yeah, we are
1: doing Idiocracy. Uh,
0: this is a movie that uh, Adam suggested, and we've done it before. We've recently watched it. He's uh, been talking to us for about an hour already. He's He's good to go. He's got his Taco Bell. And uh,
1: an I'm going to plug in. Show. <laughs> it, was, it was an epic, pre show that if you listen to it, it, will so fundamentally change your life that if you go and you put in $10 a month onto this show, you'll be like, wow, that was a good deal.
0: Totally worth it. Totally worth it. Uh, so everyone can find this show at uh, actualanarchy.com slash 30. So that's three zero. so that'll be the uh, direct link to this show. And, Adam, why don't you just, uh, you know, in case someone doesn't know who you are, just the real quick, you know, 30-second elevator speech, and then we'll get going on the movie.
1: Well, my grandfather was an orangutan, <laughs> my grandmother was a zookeeper, and the rest is history. And somehow right, I ended up on my balls. Isn't that, isn't that what we're doing
0: tonight? On my Ow balls. my
1: balls. <laughs> my no? Oh, good. That's a relief. Okay, so, yeah, I... Uh, You couldn't tell from the stupid look on my face, I enlisted in the Marine Corps when I was 17 years old, volunteered to go to Iraq, and that was really the major turning point for me in seeing the greatest evils of government up close and personal and being a part of them to propel me in my activism towards peace and freedom first with Iraq veterans against the war. And then I ran for Congress in 2010 in New Mexico as a Republican. I know, I know, I'm sorry, I was endorsed by Ron Paul, it's cool. And then I couldn't shut up when the race was over, so I got a radio show and then a TV show, and then that got canceled for political reasons after just four months, and I went independent online with Adam versus the Man, racked up 60-plus million views on YouTube, and I don't know how many podcast downloads, but then I went to jail for some civil disobedience. It wasn't the first time i have been arrested over three thousand times for that, and while I was in jail, I started writing the book Freedom, which is now the focus of my activism, The Freedomline.com. It's the ultimate red pill in 100 pages, free in every digital format possible, free as an audiobook, free online at the thefreedomline.com and now I am running for not president in 2020 that is on the platform of the peaceful orderly responsible disillusion of the entire United States federal government because that would be a good first step right yeah well think- said
0: so hey thanks for coming on man this is amazing my pleasure yeah so what uh how'd you reach out to us was it just from that mass uh Twitter, like- yeah,
1: we got tagged in a, a monster thread with 48 people that just is now the thread that never ends. And I've been avoiding Twitter for a few days because now every time I get on here, I'm actually on it. I can check my messages and stuff. But when I go to mention, it's just this one thread. And you know, it's like after you've been, after you've if you, if you understand understood libertarianism long enough, and you've been through enough of these conversations, a lot of them are really, really predictable, and then <laughs> yeah. they get kind of annoying. You know, when it's not you. Who gets to be the one jumping in and telling people how they're wrong about everything so um yeah yeah like it's still here when i when i look at my my feed right now oh wait no i think it's starting to go, no okay it's starting to go away but there's replying to 48 others 48 others 48 others i think it was uh jeremiah harding that started this one
0: yeah i don't even know him personally i've we've been following each other on twitter for probably a couple of months now uh but i i don't know who he is is he somebody that i should know
1: I just that awesome guy on Twitter. Alright, that Diamond. works for me.
0: <laughs> so, uh, I'm Daniel, now, by the way. i gonna
1: be like, that guy Adam, he's an ass. He forgot, he forgot when I met him in that event and wherever he was. Cause I've done like, I've done, uh, you know, three national tours now. I'm getting ready to do a fourth here. So. Oh. No excuse. If you live in America, no excuse for not having met me in person.
0: Right. Well, I appreciate meeting you like virtually in person. I've never been to one of your events, but I think it would be cool at some point. Where are you? Uh, we're both up in Washington State near Seattle. I'm almost in Canada, oh, well,
1: actually. What's that?
0: I'm almost in Canada. I can, I can feel the socialism. It's like pulsating nearby.
1: So are, are you up in the San Juan Island?
0: I used to be, actually. Oh, okay. um,
1: that's where my mom lives now.
0: Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, yeah, I lived, uh, just outside of Friday Harbor for oh, a couple right. of years. Oh,
1: that's where she is. Just outside of Fry Harbor. How about that?
0: Yeah, we oh, had, had a couple, moved. couple that's
1: acres. Beautiful place.
0: Yeah, so did you get out this way then?
1: Yeah, of course. Uh, every tour we hit, we hit Seattle and we have a great base. I mean, the movement is really strong there. And, and now that we're organizing for the presidential campaign, it's really exciting to be able to, to channel that to productive activism and get people, uh, whether or not they like what the LP is doing to be using the LP as a platform and as a base of organizing taking advantage of the absurdly criminal political process to get our message out there.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, kind of turn their own weapons against them, right?
1: Well, I mean, it's really kind of a sad debate in in our movement about political activism and action, and if you believe in voluntarism or libertarianism or anarcho capitalism or freedom in any way from an ethical perspective, you say statism is bad. That is, government is bad because it's unethical because it uses violence, right? It uses the threat of violence, the coercion is fundamental to the nature of the state. And then you go, and voting is violence too. You're like, well, wait, wait a second, no, no, voting is is a peaceful act in and of itself. Voting is peaceful. It's like saying that that it's a violent act or an act of aggression of, for me to sit here and say there ought to be a law and someone should go to jail and that justifies some forceful retaliation against me or, for, or at least violent defense and that's, that's absurd. But even if you believe that, even if you go with the vote, and I'll, I'll agree that voting is fundamentally useless 99% of the time, but in the 1% of the time that it is worthwhile, it's very important to enact real change through that mechanism when possible. But even if you disagree with that, even if you disagree with that, government is stealing from us to make itself relevant Right? That's one of the effects of it stealing from us and the racket in general is to make itself relevant. Which means that the election platform is relevant. Like, why not go hijack it? Go jump on that platform. Spread your message. Tell people not to vote if that's what you believe in. But as long as we can agree that we should have a more ethical society and the government is fundamentally obsolete, you know, let's let's get that message out there any way we can. And the Libertarian Party uh, is a great platform. And I have never heard a complaint, but the Libertarian Party, that could not have been fixed by that one person complaining, showing up and doing something about it.
0: Interesting. <clears throat> Well, we might not agree on everything, but, uh, we still think that having some slightly, uh, dissenting voices is a good thing for our show because we typically have guests on that we just constantly agree with each other. Yeah, Adam, it's great to have you on, man. Um, we've watched your, your work and your activism for some time now. How, when did you, has it been a while now since you started? I mean, you were in the, what, Iraq War or Afghanistan War and then you came back and how, how long did it take for you to come over? What do you
1: say? Yeah, I've tried to keep the same haircut for ten years so that no one can tell I'm aging as an activist. So <laughs> yeah, it's been it's been ten years now, more than ten years. And you say, when did I come over? Uh, you know, what do you mean? To what exactly? Well, I, I can't
0: imagine you being a libertarian and willfully, voluntarily joining the army.
1: Well, Marine Corps, extra, extra, you know. Boner points for that um, But uh, I was I, I called myself a libertarian when I enlisted I called myself a libertarian when I volunteered to go to Iraq And uh, this is why I care so much About people understanding uh, The message of freedom as a philosophical Message as an ethical message and not a political message Because when I understood it as a political message You know I still believed in the, This silly statist idea Of a standing army that is anti-American it's Against the ideals of the founders To have a standing army you know, I believed in uh, you know some form of, of of policing the world with government uh, as opposed to policing the world with market forces and, and peaceful interaction. So, you know, it, it was a, a process for me. For I was always a libertarian, at least like politically you know socially liberal fiscally conservative but mm. it took like 10 years first i mean the transformation happened partway through my activism so like when i got active with the rock Veterans against the war i, I was not uh, a philosophical libertarian yet or a true libertarian um, okay. and it was through that experience in part that i i was forced to challenge my worldview being surrounded by lefties and then it was finally reading rothbard reading ethics of liberty is what did it for me and i remember where i was i was looking to the audiobook in my car uh driving from something in el paso uh back to new mexico for from a fundraiser and just driving across the desert southern you know southern new mexico by myself listening to this audiobook and it just kind of clicked and i was like yeah i guess yeah i'm a voluntarist now i'm I'm," and 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 for a while i identified as a rothbardian and i still you know i'd say i'm pretty close but i don't like the word you you know referring to yourself as a rothbardian or a misesian or a a or a Rosean or a Kokeshian or whatever, I think it's kind of silly because, you know, you're using their name as opposed to a a, a word that describes a body of thought, you know, it's too much embracing another person's worldview and kind of giving up the spirit of thinking for yourself. But yeah, I mean, I was, I, I really sort of got to that bottom of the political rabbit hole with Rothbard. And then from there, you know, kind of refined a, a lot of things, being more future-oriented, looking at technology, I think, more than Rothbard did, um, a little more, more in tune with the love and the inclusiveness and the universality and the philosophy, perhaps, the, the human side and, and the, the compassion, empathy, psychological side, bringing that in. But yeah, still more or less, fundamentally, philosophically, Rothbardian, voluntarist, anarcho-capitalist. Sweet. And you're,
0: um, I want to say that I've seen most of your stuff where you're, like, walking around the streets of D.C., but I
1: I understand you You don't live there anymore, do you? Yeah, no, it's been, well, D.C. was my favorite backdrop for getting idiots on camera, and especially punking protests there. But I I haven't lived in D.C. for a while. You know, for a while, I was banned in D.C. I was actually uh, legally prohibited from entering the district, and uh, I thought I would have to go do something really, like, ridiculous and irresponsible, like, uh, you know, get elected to Congress or something, just to see what would happen. But yeah, as part of my probation, at one point, I was banned in the district, and I've done what you know I call my man on the street videos in most major cities that I've been to. It's a lot of fun to, to go get random crowds. But what's really cool now, I live in um, I live in Arizona, in northern Arizona, and I'm about three hours from Las Vegas, and that's like a really great place to get a steady stream of a cross section of Americans who are generally drunk and <laughs> partying and expecting to be accosted on the street so it's a really good right. crowd and a fun and engaging crowd and get to talk to people hawking music and Elvis impersonators and things like that out there so vegas is now my favorite place to do man on the street videos
0: yeah i've seen this, a few of those I, videos recently you tell i can imagine maybe a little bit more free and loose-lipped in vegas as opposed to in dc where i think i saw you trying to get somebody to admit that taxation was theft and they didn't want to talk about that all of a sudden and Were you uh, were you banned from D C as part of
1: the the shotgun incident? Yeah, it was my probation from that. Okay.
0: And and that was uh the, the house break in, right? The no knock raid. That was a result yeah. of that too?
1: Yeah, well you don't want to call it the breaking because then people think I was the one doing the breaking <laughs> in.
0: Well, I mean, you know, our perspective is they were breaking into your house.
1: <laughs> to be clear, I'm not a crook. I'm a civil disobedience activist and uh Government is the crook.
0: That's oh, right. well, yeah, I'm 100% on board with that. Or I, I always like to throw out percentages 97% because I, I like to make fun of the climate people.
1: You know, if, if you ever come out and say, I agree with you 99%, then you'll actually agree with me 100% because I say that people should never agree with another person 100%. So thank you. You're 97%. I say the same thing. I mean, you know, I'll set the <laughs> threshold lower. I'll say no one should agree with anyone more than 90%, so anybody who agrees with me on 90% of anything is actually agreeing with me 100% now.
0: Just round up. Just round
1: up. See what I did there? And by the way, I should point out 85.936% of all statistics are total bullshit made up to manipulate you.
0: You know Definitely that's uh, that there. that's one of the things I I point out in the Tom Woods group all the time because they'll post you know things from their status friends and say how would you guys respond to this? There's a a big group of uh, like a thousand people in there that are all kind of commiserating together and we don't all see totally eye to eye, but it is nice to have that oasis in the in the desert of statism that's out there. And I always respond with you know my one of my favorite books is How to Lie with Statistics and uh, how to manipulate and how to uh, not include a data set that is not uh, going to support your your pre-drawn conclusion, all of that. So, yeah, most of it's just like you're saying, total bullshit. All right. Well, this is my new mic. It's my NCAP mic. This is our second show with this one. Uh, I was having all sorts of problems with uh, several other um, battles with sound, you know, trying different things to make it oh, get wait. better.
1: Uh, that's always the bane of my existence, my production, which is why I don't do it anymore. But other people worry about that
0: stuff yeah so you don't uh you don't have a show anymore you're just you're doing the man on the street stuff and then
1: yeah kind of doing the recently. tours it's kind of like when I feel like it it's more about focusing on freedom the book free and the tours and the presidential campaign which is you know, really coming together beautifully now
0: yeah very good and that's gonna be on the libertarian ticket or the that, that process so uh, if they roll out uh, Gary Johnson again then it'll be you and him and some guy getting naked on a stage and <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, I, we're, we're, I, I've been in communication with Gary Johnson, and uh, of, of course he's been, he hasn't been like, you know, super 100% committal about it, but we don't expect him to run in 2020. So.
0: Okay. Um, I'll tell you, when we were doing our, our show as the Reed Rothbard podcast, we were uh, kind of entranced with um, McAfee a little bit, because uh, he was saying a lot of really good stuff, but he didn't seem to have any uh, philosophical underpinnings to it. He just sort well, of like had this intuition to it.
1: Uh, so I supported McAfee because halfway through the campaign, he read my book. And if you notice, all of his messaging really changed radically. Now, not, not like fundamentally. I mean, he is, is, as much as anyone could possibly be, a spiritual libertarian who, who lives it and, you know, embodies it naturally. But he didn't really understand the philosophy at the level that most of us do until, or even the economics that most of us would apply to government until, you know, this process of him going through the campaign and being exposed to so many uh, great intellectual libertarians like Judd Weiss, his running mate, mm-hmm. um, like Tiffany, Tiffany Madison, his, his campaign manager, like so many other activists. Like, to take a little credit myself, during the campaign, for for being able to to talk to him on that level and uh, get him deeper philosophical. But, you know, he stopped doing the, like, government's got to do cybersecurity stuff um, and and really was true to the message. Uh, Yeah, that
0: was the one thing that we recalled that he was saying that we didn't agree with. Um, So that must have been before... His influence. Yeah,
1: uh, I gave a talk in Philadelphia a few months ago at the Free Your Mind conference that focused on COINTELPRO and what the modern equivalents of COINTELPRO might be. And if you don't know counterintelligence program, please go look it up. At least read the wikipedia article on it it's an fbi program from the 60s and 70s to disrupt activist groups ended up leading to a lot of deaths of activists through unnecessary police raids where the fbi was leading local departments doing really violent house break-ins and there were a number of black panther activists who died that way but there were a lot of other tactics of disruption that were about setting activists against each other and uh Hurting people's public perception. And and that's really sad that that was all it would take. And, you know, my, as I said, my starting activism was with the Iraq Veterans Against the War about 10 years ago. And at the time, you know, when we looked at Vietnam Veterans Against the War and the way that they were messed with by Delta PRO and other infiltrators in their heyday, we had to think, well, what are they doing now? And if anything, I think that that effect is much more subtle because you don't even have to assassinate anybody at this point to render them ineffective or to render a movement ineffective. In fact, if you think of the freedom movement as the movement to, in the long term at least, evolve humanity past government, right? If you're government, and you can keep people distracted just enough from being effective, that they never st- they're, they're, they never slow down government as much as government is growing. So, like, let's say government never interfered with freedom activists and you know we'd be able to slowly decrease the size of government but government interference slows us down just enough in distracting us that you know we come down in our effectiveness just enough that government is able to keep growing and keep growing exponentially that's all they have to do they don't even have to neutralize us they just have to slow us down so that they're growing that much faster than we're slowing them down and growing so you think about how their tactics may have evolved i mean how many conversations with your girlfriend would be screwed up if you know just a couple of texts didn't go through, right? you know just just these and we know you know what their capabilities are at this point in terms of interfering with electronic communication and eavesdropping and all of that but i'll go a step further to be a little bit conspiratorial in that you could have an activist in the movement or several activists could be half of the prominent public figures in the movement are actually agents who on the surface look like they're doing great work but somehow behind the scenes are sowing more discontent and division that their overall impact is negative even though it looks like they're doing a great thing for this movement create a culture of love. Be loving. Be supportive. Don't let yourself get distracted. And a question that I asked to the audience in Philadelphia, I said, by show of hands, how many of you have been heavily engaged with an activist group in which you backed off or checked out completely and stopped being active because of personal disagreements in that group between other activists? And I saw a third of the hands in the room go up, and I was just like, I wanted to cry. You know, that, that that humanity has been robbed of that much enthusiastic activism, of that much potential, of people who, out of love, want to do good work to serve humanity, are driven away. And that's just, it's so sad. So, yeah, it's... It, the strategy is just the same strategy I apply in my personal life. Give everybody the benefit of the doubt. Be loving and positive and accepting and encouraging of anybody who's well intentioned and doing good work towards freedom. Work with everybody who you can work with in a way that's productive that you think adds value to the movement. You know, just just be as open and accepting and, and loving and, and focusing on the positive as much as possible. You know, and, and this comes down to when you say, okay, cool, I'm not going to focus on the negative. You get to play the game of where can I most effectively focus my positive energy, and it's it's such a better game. To be playing, then you know, how do I stop this negativity or how do I fight this drama? Because you know, I, most of it, you know, most of just goes away.
0: Yeah, well, that's a, that's a good answer, and and I think that uh, as much as Robert and I like to rant about things, because there's plenty to rant about and be upset about, but uh, we've really shifted our show and the focus of it to uh, a model of talking about movies and then sneaking in Austrian economics and libertarian principles. So you kind of suck them in with uh, entertaining. Then we attempt to educate and the goal at the end of that is to emancipate them, you know, like get them thinking about uh, what, what freedom really means and how they can apply it in their own lives. Uh, so we're, we try to be a little bit sneaky about it, you know, so we take a, a movie that they're familiar with already. So explaining the concepts in relation to it might help them watch the movie in a different way, see it in a different way, and maybe make some of that information stick. Uh, at least that's, that's how we've evolved. So that's where we're at now. Hey, Adam. I've got a, a question for you. I've never actually talked to a, a person that's going to be running for president before. So excuse me if you've heard this question before. But um, you, what are your your campaign promises and uh, what do you do – you, do you think you're likely to be able to fulfill them or are you using it more as a platform to educate and that sort of thing? Oh, I've got them up on the website here, I think. Um, I can share that. But go ahead and speak to it. Well, it's,
1: it's really – it's really one promise, and that's what's so beautiful about this platform. Not only will I be able to carry out my entire campaign platform, but I will not be able to do anything other than that, because the platform is the peaceful, orderly, responsible disillusion of the entire United States federal government. And I say that I'm running for not president uh, in a way to, to make sure that we stay out of crossing any legal lines at the moment. but. I am actually very serious when I say that I'm running for not president because I'm going to go in and only be president long enough to sign one executive order that initiates this process, neutralizing, privatizing, and localizing every single element of the federal government, including the presidency. So with this executive order, I am effectively resigning from the presidency to be custodian of the federal government. That's right. A custodian is really the only appropriate title for someone in that position who should be going in to do little more than clean up the mess. And at that point, the plan to dissolve each agency is more or less laid out in detail in this executive order. So the only power that I would retain as the custodian would be to replace the department heads of the uh, various agencies if something happens to them or if they're not carrying out uh, the plan. So. If I may, just to get into this to to be perfectly clear, we're not talking about abolition, we're talking about disillusion, we're talking about declaring bankruptcy and responsibly handling the assets and the existing infrastructure that's associated with it. So neutralize, the first thing, declare the federal government effectively of no authority so it doesn't get to enforce any of its laws on anybody else. It essentially is a custodial government managing the resources that it has at that point. Really, it's not a government at that point because it is of no authority. So at the moment that that executive order is signed, we no longer have a federal government. We have finally freed America from the Leviathan, and the highest form of government in the land will be the 50 independent states. So neutralize is the first thing and really the most important. No more victims of the drug war. No more victims of American foreign policy. No more victims of the racket that is federal taxation or the theft that is taxation in general, at least at the federal level. So privatized. When we talk about privatized, I like to use the example of the VA because privatized doesn't necessarily mean put in less hands. And when we talk about government and the resources that government has taken on, it actually means putting it in more hands. Right now we have 22 veteran suicides per day in this country. And what I'd like to see happen with the VA is have it privatized as a separate institution where we give it an endowment with liquidated assets from the federal government and issue every single veteran in this country one voting share. I guarantee you when veterans are in charge of those resources, you won't have 22 veterans suicide today. But also, just as importantly, there needs to be a process of discharge review. Right now, we have a lot of veterans who are being denied care because of bad discharges, that are a result of behavior caused by their combat deployments dealing with PTSD. One of the reasons we have so many suicides is that a lot of veterans, these aren't guys who are even eligible for VA care because they got in trouble before leaving the military. And that can't stand. That really is is a, a huge failure of the federal government that can be plugged in the process of... Of dissolving it. Localizing, the third part of this, I love roads. I think roads are awesome, and I'm freaking tired of having crappy roads because government has a central authority in charge. So at least we can start by distributing those resources to the states where they can be applied in a way that's more accountable to the people they're supposed to be serving. So some agencies, like the Department of Transportation, like other social service functions, things like that, need to be localized in, a, in an orderly process at the state level. So we're going to do all of that. We're going to bring the recruits home from hundreds of foreign military bases abroad in an orderly manner, we're going to be able to liquidate those assets and put them towards funding Social Security and other federal obligations, not to the foreign debtors who are the ones who own the national debt. We get to disown the criminal intergenerational child abuse that they euphemistically describe as the national debt and liquidate the resources to pay the actual people who are indebted by the American federal government, which is the American people. Okay,
0: so you're going to be declaring bankruptcy and forgiving, you know, wiping away the debt that way and then taking the assets
1: and using selling those off like what at auction or something like that and then well one of the things that I'm looking forward to as we develop support for this campaign, as we develop the funding, is putting together a legal team that would write this executive order as a complex, uh, comprehensive, and binding legal document that would lay out a really clear path for how we would handle this. And this is going to have to be a living document uh, up until the point of winning the election, because we're going to see the face of the federal government change radically over the next few years. Not just the face, but the fundamental composition of the federal government. What is the status of the dollar? Are we selling off assets for Bitcoin at that point? Who knows? So it's really impossible to say. But I can tell you the general principle is that we're going to be liquidating the assets, you know, whatever way is the most appropriate for distributing those assets as broadly as possible and returning the uh, the proceeds as broadly as possible to the American people. So yes, some will be at auction. Some will be by direct sales, uh, some things like foreign military bases to foreign governments will have to be, you know, uh, larger negotiated deals, but there might be uh, a kind of auctioning process with that as well. Uh, you talk about the nuclear arsenal. We're going to be essentially by signing this executive order immediately cutting the cord to the red button. No more possible deployment of nukes. But then what do you do for those, uh, you know, those, those physical resources that you have in the nuclear armament. And uh, obviously I can't say, I don't know, I'm not a scientist, I'm, I'm not an expert engineer, um, but yeah, those those are all going to be dismantled in a way that they would not be usable, at least immediately, for any kind of uh, weaponizable purposes and, and put them to the best uh, use for uh, productive purposes. But it might be, like with the national parks, I don't want to see the national parks dissolved or, uh, you know, taken away from their value as existing national parks. So there are two ways that we could go with the national parks. This is an example here. They could simply get turned over to the states, and that would be fine for the time being. But what I might want to see is a national park get to be a private institution with widespread public ownership, where maybe anybody who lives in the area uh, can go and show up over a six-month period and give them a a thumbprint or a signature and... And sign up to claim one voting ownership share of that national park. And I think that would actually be a better way to guarantee its preservation as a, a coherent natural resource than entrusting that to government that can be bought off and corrupted. So, you know, there are a couple of different ways we could go with some of these, uh, in terms of, you know, even, even the nuclear resources, if they're turned into something, uh, if we decide that nuclear energy is a safe possibility at that point and we could take the entire nuclear arsenal and, and reconfigure it somehow. And I don't know, again, I might be speaking totally over my head in terms of what's scientifically practical, but if you could put all of those resources, for example, towards creating nuclear energy, then I, I think that might be something that we would allow to be of uh, broad spread public ownership where, or widespread public ownership where anybody who, who wanted to make a claim to that, maybe it would be every American who put their name on the list would be entitled to some profit sharing that we would become owners in a, uh, you know, a private corporation of, of the American nuclear energy company. There's so many possibilities for this because the federal government has stolen so much wealth from the American people. And when it comes down to it, uh, you know, we're talking about radically increasing everyone's wealth by reducing the tax burden that the federal government imposes, but also increasing the market for jobs in so many ways. When you will you know, for every government job that you eliminate, you free up the resources to create at least three honest jobs in, in the peaceful sector. So being able to see that and that potential, I think, is so much more important than you know the details right now of how do we divide things up. Because ultimately, the most important part about this is not the materialism uh, and reclaiming the stolen property, because uh, there's going to be a superfluous amount of that. Everybody's going to be so much wealthier. America is going to be so well off. The rest of the world is going to want to copy us and once again leading humanity towards freedom. But the real important thing about this is the ethical thing. Stop the violence. Stop the theft that is taxation. Stop the the international destruction that is uh, the American foreign policy. Stop the the red tape that is, is, is just choking the uh, you know formation of, of new businesses in America and, and reducing competition possibilities, creating a, you know the all. Uh, oligopolic or, or monopoly effects that we have in American corporatism. So get, get rid of all of that. So as I've said about this platform, why I couldn't get away with anything else is if I get elected on this platform and I go into office on the first day and say, yeah, never mind that executive order, forget that. I'm just going to be a normal president for a while and be in charge of a bunch of stuff and invade some foreign countries and keep taxing everybody. Shoot me, just shoot me. <laughs> uh, yeah. Put it out there. My vice presidential nominee will come in and sign the executive order. And if they don't do it, shoot them, too. Hey, Adam, uh, that's an excellent answer. um, answer. Um, Allow
0: me to ask you a question I know you're going to get on the campaign. And that is, like, I don't know, mainstream media or whatever. But they always ask this every election cycle. And if you're planning on doing what you're going to do, you know you're going to get this question of, but it sounds like you're going to leave us vulnerable to the nation's enemies by, you know, shutting down the nukes and bringing in all the troops and all that. Uh, it's going to make people feel scared. and that's, So what, what what would your response be to that?
1: Well, it's a little bit counterintuitive, but because there are lives at stake, it's really important that we approach this question with a mind open enough to overcome what is now centuries of propaganda that it is contrary to the American founders' vision. The founders of this country were explicitly against a standing army because they knew that it actually makes us less safe to have a standing army. Army, and it's because we have been convinced through our lifetimes of propaganda that wars are fought between countries, and it's the biggest lie in the government scam of a racket. Because the truth of the matter is that wars are conducted by governments using violence to expand their protection racket. And when you tell your government that you want to be protected, that you want to be a well-kept slave, and you want to be taxed against your will to support a standing army, well, guess what? That makes you a really juicy target for a foreign government that would come in and do what? Rule you, govern you, like you're being governed now. But if this country were to be taken over by a foreign power at this point, I think we should be grateful that they would overthrow the yoke of the federal government because there's no way that they could ever come to tax us and exploit us as much as the American federal government is doing today. So first of all, even if I'm wrong about everything, we should be grateful to have help of a foreign government coming in and overthrowing this government, just as the American founders were happy to have the support of the French and various other European forces during the American Revolution. Mm -hmm. But truly, the real best national defense is a population who refuses to be governed by anyone. This is why Afghanistan is the graveyard of empires. This is why Admiral Yamamoto in World War II said the reason they didn't invade the mainland was because in America they would find a rifle behind every blade of grass. This is why Gandhi, with nonviolent resistance, was able to get the British out of India, and it was because he made them resist in a way that made them ungovernable. And what we're talking about here is a population shift that permanently frees America by shifting the paradigm and rendering us forever ungovernable. Man,
0: I think you're ready for the debates. I would love to
1: see you in a debate. That would be fantastic. (laughs) That would be. I'm just getting warmed up, brother. I got I got two years to hone my messaging before we even get to that stage. But yes, yeah, but I, I hope it, they listen. It, yeah. you know, you didn't even hear me play the Marine Corps card. You know, I could have been because I was there and I fell for the racket. And we were making enemies in Fallujah faster than we could kill them. We made terrorism, and all of the results you see of terrorism around the world are predictable results of American foreign policy. And by the way, how many veterans does it take to screw in a light bulb? You want to know? You weren't there, man. <laughs> that reminds me so of
0: you know, that. <laughs> that uh that bar fight you almost got into and you talked that guy down i, I was uh, watching that the other day that was pretty impressive stuff man
1: well thank you
0: yeah he, he was a big dude i mean i thought you were a big dude then i saw that guy
1: yeah no i'm not i'm i'm like people think i'm big but no I'm, i mean i'm a little thick but i'm pretty average frame Five ten, you know average american male height and then yeah this guy was this guy was a monster i mean he made me he made me look small you know he was about a head taller than me and I mean, I tell people, "Oh man, he had at least 40 pounds on me," and people are like, "No, dude, Adam, that guy had like 80 pounds on you. <laughs> I mean, he was like the juggernaut, just no neck, you know, monster, stick yeah. everywhere. Like he
0: looked like Brock Lesnar or something."
1: Yeah, yeah, just insane. So yeah, it was, it was nice to be able to. If I can keep my head talking to him, Trump, Trump's got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Adam, how how do how are you making money, dude? I was, am I supposed to be making money? I don't know. I don't know if you're making money, but you got like a whole like campaign and shit. <laughs> we, we have, uh, we have some sponsors who are supporting the campaign enough to keep the lights on and keep some great people fed, but that's about it. Okay. I wouldn't think i okay. are making money here. I just wondered how you kept the
0: lights on. I figured you probably had some sort of, uh, backers as all campaigns do, but.
1: Well, I have enough like independent sources of income for myself that I don't need to, you know, support myself as an activist run for office with with those funds you know I have my book sales I have my merchandise sales I still have passive income from YouTube and getting involved in Steam it again now um so right on Well, yeah. I
0: imagine your bills are way down Plus, um, on. from Washington DC to Arizona is yeah, no oh, yeah no I, there? I bought
1: yeah, I bought 11 acres for $13,000 in the mountains here in Arizona and I'm building a house very very slowly on a tiny my tiny personal budget. I'm I'm living in an RV. I live in a 19-foot travel trailer that I'm in right now. I mean, it's dark so you can't tell just how messy it is, but there it is. I got a complete bathroom and a complete kitchen. And two more bunks there, and a bunk above me here, and uh, you know, queen size bed where I'm at, where I'm sitting in the corner right now. So, you know, I've I've been living out of this thing for three years in September. So just uh, just sort of three years now, and I've been on the road nonstop for about half that time, and then half the time I've been here mostly living on my land. But I still travel so much that you know I'm I'm not I'm not home enough to really build. So I'm kind of putting aside. I've got a shipping container. I've got My merchandise set up in there and I've got water and showers and a campfire and, and, you know, a couple of buildings other than that. I don't have a complete function house yet i have an outhouse it says voting booth on it and uh vote <laughs> early vote often your nice. farm and um i'm kind of just putting all that to the side i'm being kind of comfortable there now i can live off my soil. Oh, i have chickens i have a great bird run i get tons of eggs uh, i'm more or less vegan but i'll eat eggs if they're you know free-range voluntary chickens um is there oh vegetarian i'm like vegetarian more when i'm traveling so give myself gotcha. that allowance like, it's kind of like a practical consumer choice veganism where, you know, in my main lifestyle, I will not consume animal products. But if someone – for me, it's not about the consumption of animal products. It's the creation of animal products. You know, so, like, you got to be realistic about this. You know, if you kill a deer on the side of the road, you know, you should probably eat it rather than let it go to waste, right? No, I'm just kidding. Don't eat roadkill. But if someone is making a meal for me, I'll tell them, hey, if you can make a vegan option, please make a vegan option or a vegetarian option. Or if they serve a big meal, I'll just leave out the meat, and that's not a big deal. Or if it's my only thing available to eat, and it's going to go to waste otherwise, I'm going to eat the meat. But I don't want to do anything by my own choices to contribute to uh, to animal suffering unnecessarily. But when I'm traveling, yeah, I'll make animals uncomfortable to make myself comfortable if it comes down to it. Right on.
0: Did you guys hear me say phrasing? Did that come through? Yes,
1: I did, Daniel. Thank you. That was
0: good. You can cut right. that out and, uh, I don't know, use it somehow. That'd be good. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, Adam did say eat the meat, you know. I, I, I yeah, got I know. Phrasing on that I one. I know. <laughs> oh man, I, I got all these, uh, notices from Facebook. I, I, I think I stirred up some shit today. What did you do? Uh, some guy in there was talking about, um, he had a distaste for the, the Tom's shoes business model where they sell, uh, the shoes and then give away a pair to someone in the third world. And he was saying that, you know, that would lead to, um, dependency on shoes, I guess, like they wouldn't be able to produce shoes on their own and cobblers wouldn't have jobs or something ridiculous. And I was like, hey man, as long as it's voluntary, like who are we to say? And,
1: uh, you know, I hear that every day now. Well, if it's voluntary, who cares? Like I did a post today making fun of fidget spinners and someone says, hey, if they're just fidgeting, like who cares? They're not hurting anybody. It's therapeutic. Let them have their thing. Well, just because I think it's dumb and and it's it's okay, it doesn't mean I want to support it or promote it. I want to live in a vibrant world full of people living healthy, wonderful, productive lives. So yeah, I have an interest. I have a you know a, a market preference to express. It's not just well if it's voluntary, it's okay. If it's not, it's bad. I'm not like I, you know I smoke pot. I'm still not in favor of people being burnouts. I think that's stupid. If pot affects you negatively, limit your usage or don't use it at all. You know if if you're spending your whole life going no 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 with a fidget spinner, I'd rather you be engage with the world, sorry right,
0: and fair enough, you got a preference, but he was talking about like, how do we make it more efficient like, what do we do about these, and, like, how do we intervene in this process to uh, make sure the cobblers don't, not have jobs or they forget how to make shoes or something in case there's a disruption in the influx of the free shoes or something ridiculous
1: so, well, just 3D shoes, they forget how to make them <laughs> well, te- for everybody, technology technology, just, yeah, okay. just technology. enjoy the ride, enjoy the ride <laughs> Speaking of which, let's let's watch a futuristic movie. That's
0: right. Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> all right. So, uh, Adam, this is going to be our Fourth of July, Secession Day special. Um, we don't really consider it Independence Day so as much because, uh, well, you know, all the reasons. Um, Heck yeah. Yeah, they they were they were fighting over a three percent tax rate, and now we got like a four year fifty. So, you know, we have we, increased our uh, tolerance level over the two hundred and some odd years, but yeah. Um, we actually got interviewed a couple of times over the last couple of weeks, and so we had to start coming up with, like, better answers for stuff. Because it's a lot different for us when it's just, you know, two guys who've known each other for, like, 35 years talking uh, just about whatever comes up about a movie versus getting pointed questions from somebody. Yeah, so, Daniel, do you have... Um Scenes you want to discuss, or how do you want to do this movie? Because there aren't a whole lot of, like, morally ambiguous scenes, a whole lot, but there are a bunch of issues that probably came up, I imagine. Yeah, there's a bunch of stuff uh, that I saw. Um, so I think we just kind of do it organically, just sort of do it chronological, and then just riff from there. Um, if, if that's cool. And Adam, I'm sure, I mean, you said you haven't seen this in, in a while, but you've seen it a couple of times, so. Oh,
1: yeah. I you'll, know, you'll, yeah, I mean, I quote it all the time.
0: <laughs> Beaton. Leave me alone, Beaton. all right Um, okay we're ready to go here oh go ahead robert no i didn't if you listen to the pre-show then adam really gets (laughs) into exactly what he means by exactly that so another plug for the patreon do it do it do it doug all right (laughs) so we're gonna get into, uh, into this movie, and I mentioned before that we've done it once before as the Reed Rothbard podcast, so I will put that in the show notes. Uh, it's from, uh, back in December. I listened to it again earlier today, and, uh, I thought we did a fairly decent job, even though it was an hour and a half episode, and we talked about the movie for all of ten minutes. It was just Robert and I shooting the shit back and forth. And, uh, Adam, just so you know, you can, you know, be a little bit loose on this with the language, uh, up to you, man.
1: You stop talking like a fag. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So uh, we're going to get into this.
1: I have, to put, like, I have to put the politician disclaimer on that now. I'm going to say the F word, that F word. Because that's more offensive than saying fuck, right? Like now, nobody cares about the word fuck. But if you say fag, at least some people, some snowflakes still take that the wrong way. But when we say fag, we mean it in the idiocracy sense, which obviously came from South Park, which is totally different from being gay. Being, being a fag is an insult, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you're gay. I, I'm like, I'm, I, I feel awesome. I'm in heaven right now. I'm referencing South Park and Idiocracy together just to explain away me using what used to be a slur.
0: Yeah, you know, that's a key, that. that's a key feature that we talk about on our show is the, uh, the, the metamorphosis of language over time. And it's always, uh, whatever term is being used to describe a certain group or a certain type of, of people, uh, that will eventually become a slur and then they'll shift it they'll say, okay, that's no longer a proper word to say, so now you have to say it this way. And then that evolved into becoming the slur word, and then it continues on and on in an endless cycle. And right. so you're constantly, you're never sure, like, what to call anyone any longer because everything is deemed defensive, and it seems to have escalated ever more so now in this age of social media.
1: Just keep in mind that snowflakes on the left and right melt at exactly the same temperature.
0: <laughs> 97% of them do anyway, right? <laughs> All right, everyone. This uh, idiocracy movie with the uh, what was it? 2006, Mike Judge coming off of Office Space and King of the Hill and all that good stuff. Steve and Butthead. Let's hear the uh, Google description. All right, I just had to tone down my lights. I was I was a little shiny, a little bit shiny there. So well, idiocracy, like you were saying, 2006 science fiction thriller. It's an hour and 24 minutes. It's got uh, 92% of Google users approve. Metacritic was 66%. Rotten Tomatoes is 75%. And we're going to use our rating system at the end of this to describe whether we like this movie or not. Uh, Adam, just so you know, on our last episode with um, The Dark Knight, we determined that our rating system was black and gold is good, black and red not so good. Gotcha. So it's sort of like a thumbs up, thumbs down. And uh, let's see here. Uh, 2005, Average in Every Way, Private Joe Bowers, played by Luke Wilson is selected to take part in a secret military experiment to put him in hibernation for a year, along with a woman named Berita, played by Maya Rudolph. The slumbering duo is forgotten when the base they are stored on is closed down and are left in stasis until 2505. When they finally wake up, they discover the average intelligence of humans has decreased so much that Joe is now the smartest man
1: alive.
0: Yeah, I can't really fault it. That's That's, that's pretty much it. Yeah, it doesn't give uh, too many of the you know scenes or plot points, but it is kind of just the general premise. Uh, this is directed by Mike Judge, like you were saying. Um, he was uh, kind of riding high at that point. Uh, I don't know what he's been doing lately, actually, but uh, this this was a fun movie when I first saw it and rewatching it again. Um, it, it came up when we did it in December because so many people were uh, likening the Trump uh, election as an example, as a documentary, if you will, of idiocracy. Uh, right I remember for Hector Macho that. Camacho. Or Mountain Dew, Camacho, or whatever his name is? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, so notes do you want to start taking us through some of the scenes? Uh, Is there anything of interest at the very beginning for you? I'm sorry, you cut out. Was that to me? Hello? Yeah, I can hear you. Did you ask me that question? You were cutting out. Yes, I did, yeah. Uh, Take us through your first note there, Robert. Okay, my very first note is... So, it starts off by explaining how the world got dumb. And it's got these smart people who... Are completely aware of the world and they're like, well, we're just not the right time for us. We're going to check out in a few years and we'll see maybe, maybe we'll, we'll have sex and have a baby. And then it cuts to some dumb people who are just fucking everybody and appropriating like crazy. And then it goes back to the smart people who are just getting older and older and they're saying, well, it's not a good time in the market. So we're not going to have a baby. And then at the end, uh, like the guy dies from a heart attack. Um, I, the main point that I want to make other than the uh, people not wanting to procreate because of the market, well, it's probably due to government intervention, but also this idea that more people equals bad, not necessarily more dumb people. I mean, maybe more dumb people equals bad, but out of the amount of total number of dumb people, you're going to get some smart people. I mean, that's just the way the Bell demographics work. And you have to have more and more people to get better and better advancements in technology. So... We've done this topic before when we talked about the perils of overpopulation and that sort of thing. And it's this Malthusian idea that there's only a set limit number of resources and we're all going to starve to death if, if, if there's too many people. Um, when in reality, each human being is born with two hands and a brain that is capable of innovation. And if mm-hmm. left alone mm-hmm. to be free, then they will uh, come up with solutions to problems. So that's what I had to say about that, Daniel. You got some issues there. Well, I, I looked at that as it was different levels of time preference by uh, demonstrated by the different people, so the two groups of people. You know that there were the responsible ones who wanted to make sure that they were fully ready to take on the responsibilities that come with. Them having children and making sure that they can provide for them, whereas the other guy had you know, very, very little time preference. He was just like immediate satisfaction, hedonist style, um, multiple baby mamas and all that. So it, it was a little bit of a, a lesson from an economic standpoint of uh, comparing different levels of time preference between different pe- different people, different groups of people. And but how are you
1: taking care of all those babies? You gotta imagine there's some welfare involved. Yeah, that's, that's like my only criticism with the setup on this movie, because I don't believe in the premise. I believe that technology is making people smarter on the whole even if we're being biologically dumber you know we're effectively smarter with technology it's like you know Thomas Jefferson by himself 200 years ago versus you know a 10 year old kid with a smartphone today which would you rather have on your side in a trivia contest right you know no question but the uh, th- that they didn't really connect this and say well because government welfare well because subsidization of dumb people or you know uh, people having children in general and responsible people not I I don't think I made that connection enough, but if you accept the premise as obvious science fiction, then you should take this as, like, this is your brain, this is your brain on government, you know, this is your society, this is your society on too much government. I'm way more hopeful for the future, but it's kind of fun, this is like, hey, if we don't win, if government wins, this is where things are going.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's a good point. So um, our hero is involved, he's an army librarian, and he, like, volunteers for this program to be frozen for one year. And uh, Maya Rudolph's character, she also volunteers. I forget exactly how or why. But the program is subsequently forgotten after they've been frozen, and they end up being frozen for 500 years instead of one year. And they wake up in this super dumbed-down society after the... um, for some reason, the movie thinks that all of scientists put their efforts towards uh, hair loss and erections, which helps the, the the population explosion, um, which is kind of a strange thing. I'm mean, sure there's some demand for that stuff, but there's also a great demand for you know healthcare in general and other disease prevention and that sort of thing. But um, one issue, I mean, the the whole garbage stacking thing, I I didn't <laughs> quite understand their reasoning for that. I mean, it's like a Wall-E kind of situation. They don't never this never really explain it. Daniel,
1: did you did you understand that better than I or Adam? Oh, I well, think we it... just needed a plot mechanism for uh, for Joe and you know for for um. Uh, for for not sure and Rita to be awakened from their slumber so it was perfect that they're on a pile of garbage and they slide down I don't think they're they, they reference the great garbage avalanche of 24 or whatever but it wasn't really you're right it wasn't really explained I think it's just one of those dystopic things kind of a nice you know that judge threw that in as a warning about letting garbage pile up like hey if we don't figure this out you know it's gonna pile up yeah okay
0: yeah, I think they mentioned it in the intro that they sort of forgot how to manage garbage and, and all of these other necessities of life, so they just started piling everything up. And from a personal standpoint, I, I live in a, a fairly roughish neighborhood where I'm at, and uh, we'll walk around the, the neighborhood every now and again. And there is a house that actually does this on a personal level, like. They'll just throw things out their kitchen window, and now there's a cascading, like, slide of garbage. Just probably a hundred bags of it, just in their yard, and it creeps up from the ground all the way up to their, to their window. So I imagine as they throw out, you know, like a chicken carcass, it just rolls on down, rolls on down the hill, the garbage hill. Okay, now, this, he, he wakens into this world where the world is, everything is plastered with advertising, and it really seemed to be kind of a, you know, like this is the, what was it? The Carl's Jr. whatever, and everybody talks about how Carl's Jr. is great and something like that. But it really seemed to be kind of an anti, anti-corporatism or anti-advertising type of message. Did you guys get that? Mm. I, I guess a little bit. Um, it was sort of like everyone is, is a NASCAR car. You know, even their clothing had advertisements on it. Uh, the TV when he's baiting has, you know, a ring of advertisements all around it. And right. all of these, uh, like we were saying earlier, the, the language, um, have metamorphosed, or morphed over time. Uh, the names of the businesses have also morphed over time. So Fud became Fud Fuckers and then eventually ended up yeah. being Butt Fuckers. Yeah. And, and like Starbucks, uh, a latte used to mean, you know, a coffee drink with milk and then by 2505 it means a hand job. <laughs> right. Which is sweet. <laughs> but, but in the theme of this movie, I mean, the corporations are the villains. Where the uh the thirst mutilator company is you know, poisoning the crops and that sort of thing.
1: Yeah, Where uh yeah, ele- government
0: the government is the problem solver. Yeah, very much so. I I would agree with that assessment. I think that they do spin uh profit in corporations in a in a negative light in this film. And consumerism itself. A very hedonistic uh, viewpoint, like the the old trope of uh, profits over people. You know, they'll do whatever it takes to make sure that they have profits irrespective of the of the costs or the consequences of of that scenario which I don't think really plays out in a free market uh, and
1: we'll, we'll get it, Brondo the guy in charge of Brondo is an idiot too he's not he's not evil he's just hapless you know he's you, that's true. you know, I've never thought of that. I'm almost offended to think that the message of the movie is corporations get carried away and that's what makes people stupid and government comes in and saves the day. But you could just as well say when people are so dumb as they are in this movie, they actually need government to come in and help them. Then then maybe, it's, you know, it's accurately accurately portraying government as a step back. But they're, they're enough. You know, science fiction false premises, like even the advertising one. And and I might be wrong about this, but I think we're going to a world, even though we have a sort of saturation of advertising at this point, where when you have artificial intelligence and consumer decisions are made by reviews, then you know, advertising might become really obsolete if, if advertising becomes irrelevant to consumer choices. And I think, I think we're going more in that direction than centralized corporate control. I would agree so with I'm that. Not talking like that. Watch the movie.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, just to, to segue off your point just a little bit, I do think that people are now empowered as consumers to have more tools at their disposal to um, go out into the world and, and seek what they what they're desiring. You know, what, whatever problem they're having now, they can just throw in a search term and they can get you know a, a thousand pages of answers or potential answers, which is a lot different than you know back in the um, John Kenneth Galbraith days where he was saying how advertising was so evil. It, it, it does seem that, that it's, it's less of a fed to you and more of a pull mechanism like it's a push versus a pull. Now you can go out and um, do the search on your own and you can go and find the things that you are that are going to satisfy your yeah. needs. Yep. Okay, so yeah, let not, me ask you guys this question. I'm oh, sorry, go ahead.
1: Um, no, that's
0: it. Do you see this movie more as a as a saying that government is necessary to solve problems that the market can't solve or are you saying that only stupid people would turn to
1: government to solve the problem. I think it's a fun enough movie that's more focused on being funny and entertaining and just generally thought provoking than being driven by a particular message. You could project either interpretation onto this, but I look at the looking at the screen right here. I'm looking. Holy crap! This thing lost money. The budget it says was two to four million, and the box office worldwide was less than half a million. Like I, I, I'm I'm very disappointed. Because taking away all of, you know, just the, uh, you know, our political, ideological interpretations, whatever, this is a freaking fun movie. You know, <laughs> it, it's just, it's it's so goofy that it like it could have been a cartoon and, and been just as good but the the execution of it like the the um i will say that the the, the actual execution of the movie as a accurate portrayal of what they're trying to portray in this science fiction kind it, it, it's beautiful like it's a, it's a well made movie it's engaging it's fun it's it's funny um and and it's it's you know got enough i don't want to say drama but like human tension and interesting plot to keep you engaged I think it's great overall in that. I think it really, if, if it touches on, on if it meets all of those criteria for people and stimulates any thought in terms of futurism, of social futurism, technological futurism, or political futurism, that's just like big icing on the cake for me.
0: Yeah, that's a good point, Adam. And I I think that the box office was, like you're saying here, disappointing. But this is one of those films that probably didn't play well initially, but then found a new life in sort of the
1: cult classic
0: classic aftermarket thing. I'm sure that That Mike Judge and and, uh, whoever else was standing to benefit from this did okay in the longer, longer term. But you did mention um, the futurism, and there are a few things that are pretty cool to see that I don't think existed uh, even as prototypes um, back when this was being made. But now they're commonplace. So uh, when Joe goes to the uh, to the hospital, he sees a Roomba, um, you know, slamming into the wall. It, it's not working <laughs> properly because you know all the people there are dumb and they're probably not running it properly. But there is a Roomba, and there's also a guy wearing a, a camera on his head. Like a like a GoPro style thing. So there are a lot of little uh What's the little movie, <laughs> little, little things that you'll see in there that uh were sort of it's only what, ten years old this movie, but um a lot of those yeah. things didn't exist even ten years ago. No, they didn't. So our hero, he, he fall he stumbles into the room of a lawyer who is watching like Out My Ball, which is like the number one TV show. And On the, on the Violence who... Channel, is that right? The violence channel? I I don't recall. But he essentially shoots him out of his house. And he stumbles around and he goes to a hospital thinking that he's like delusional. And the hospital, like you said, there's a Roomba, there's a lady that kinda like working at McDonald's, she kinda like pushes button to kinda describe what's wrong with the guy. And then he goes to the doctor and the doctor's where he's like, You talk like a fag and your shit's all fucked up and you sound retarded and uh then he can't pay and he doesn't have his UPC symbol, which is basically his tattoo where he's got a, a number and so he's arrested and put in jail. Uh Daniel, do you want to talk about any of that? Yeah, I mean there's there's a lot there. Um, I think that uh this is part of the dystopian portion of of the film in that you need to have this barcode otherwise you're unscannable, right? So you need to be sort of registered with the government and that's a bit concerning. Uh the Dr. Dr. Alexis played by Justin Long, he's pretty funny. Uh Sorry, he the actor so. who
1: played the doctor in that scene. What was that? Yeah, Justin Long was awesome. Sorry, I'm pulling it off, there's my connection. You got me there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He yeah.
0: yeah. paused for a moment.
1: Sorry about that. Yeah, no, I was just pulling it because you made me think of the Dr. Lexus scene. I, I looked it up. as Justin Long, right? He's the actor. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he was really good. It was a really well-cast film, too.
0: Yeah, I'm surprised that the budget was so low, but yeah, he had all kinds of uh, big-name actors.
1: Well, it's like they got a lot of, I, I don't know if you'd say like B-plus listers, and they just mm-hmm. there aren't any big A-listers in the film. They're just they're just everybody is really like they must have had a blast making this movie. Just imagine this crew coming together and it's, it's you know there I don't think there weren't nobody like dominated, but everybody was just right for their roles. It was it was really and they, they you could tell they were all enjoying their parts. Yeah, because like Terry Cruz who plays the president, he was he was absolutely money. Yep, yep. But yeah,
0: uh, to Daniel's mm-hmm. point, um. Yeah, we think of, you know, Jews in the concentration camps with the the numbers and the idea that everybody is totally comfortable with it and freaks out when you're not, you don't have your tattoo. Um, Hopefully that's a kind of comment that, yeah, it's a bad thing because all these dumb people really want you to have it. I don't know. I'm not exactly sure how I feel about it. Yeah, and when he was running from the police, he would get scanned just randomly. There are
1: enough, like, clear digs on government here.
0: Yeah, in, in the dystopian sense, like all the, the government control and the, the scanners and the cops coming after you and like, but they just shoot up a car at one point for like no reason. Yeah. Yeah, and then Frito's yeah, so done. Was, He's like cheering not, it on.
1: Yeah, they're not portraying the government as competent by any stretch. I mean, the guy talks his way out of jail. You know, the cops are all not just idiots, but dangerous idiots. I mean, it's yeah. There's yeah. I wouldn't I wouldn't call it an endorsement of government because the conclusion is that as president, that's how Joe saves the day.
0: I I I, I tend to agree with you somewhat, but
1: it
0: it at the beginning he is definitely uh, an anti-authoritarian movie, but at the end of the day, they, they do. They do all look to him, it, and then they they, all look to when he's at the it's end, it's he's it's talking it's about how he's going to fix everything, and everybody's happy with him, and he the, the, the dust them. bowl, and all that. the crops grow, and all that. So I'm a bit torn. So I'm bit And I'm getting a wicked torn. echo. And I'm getting a wicked echo. Yeah, I think I think that's your side, Adam, picking up what Robert's saying. Now you got an echo on you, Dan. Now you
1: got an echo on you, I think this is because my connection was lagging a little bit. Okay. Okay. Daniel, say something. Daniel, say something.
0: Something, something, something. Looking to...
1: Something. Looking to... Say something, damn it!
0: <laughs> uh, Adam, is there any way that uh, you could turn down uh, the Adam, speakers is there on your way side? Uh,
1: you could turn down the speakers on your side. Yeah, absolutely. Is that better?
0: Yeah, let me see. Talking, Can you... talking, 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 talking. Yeah, that's better for me, I think. Yeah, I think that's what's happening, Adam. It's picking up on your mic what we're saying out of your speakers. It's still doing it a little bit for me. It's still doing it a bit for me. Um, Do you have a headset or anything, yeah, or?
1: Not handy. You can run go get it if you want to roll a clip.
0: Uh, if, it's, if it's quick, yeah, no problem. Uh, for whatever reason, it's, it's making all this noise now. It wasn't doing it before. All right, Robert, let's chat for a little bit here. So, Daniel, how are you, sir? How you been, man? I'm doing well. How are you? Scintillating. Scintillating, Daniel. Yeah, so the audio sounds a lot better. I just muted Adam's side, uh, temporarily while he's going to get a headset. And it's, uh, I'm not getting any more echo. It sounds really good on my side. It sounds really clean. Me too. Everything sounds beautiful. Yeah. She's clean, Bob. She's clean. Change guy. <laughs> little inside joke just for me and Robert there, folks. I'm, i I'll probably cut this out anyway. Uh, I 100, wanna... $100 to anybody can figure out what that's from. There's no way. Oh man, I, I, I 10 times that. I 10x that. $1000 to anybody who knows what that is. Yeah, they, uh, well, you go ahead. Uh, do we want to go back at all in the film and talk about the um, them going into the cryo chamber and the colonel or whoever was in charge of this government program gaining the trust of upgrade the pimp and his little slide deck that he's, like, doing coke off of, like, a hooker's butt and uh, <laughs> pimping ain't easy and upgrade with two Ds because he's got a double dose of the pimping? <laughs> oh, I thought that was some of the funniest stuff in the movie um i you know as, as a premise for a movie it was it, it's perfectly funny um i thought it was cute that there's a government program and then they just kind of forgot about it and so they what defunded it or the guy went went to jail and so then they just shut down the program and so then that's why he was asleep for 500 years instead of one year um you know it's not super realistic but who cares it's fine. Yeah, and I, th- I think it's funny how um, Joe, in the very beginning, you know, you can kind of tell he's not like the brightest bulb. They say, you know, lead follower, get out of the way. And he's like, well, I- I've gotten the w- out of the way every time. I mean, can't, can't you get-, get me out of this thing? I, I don't want to do this. And then when he's in the um, clinic ready to go in, he's talking to Rita. And he's like, so, uh, so, uh, you know, what unit are you from? And she says, I ain't I in no unit. Uh, oh, he's like, oh, you're in the private sector. Well, what do you do? And she says, oh, painting, painting and shit. Yeah, but what do you paint? And she's like, oh, you know, or is it like naked people and fruit and shit? <laughs> 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 yeah, so like uh, the Luke Wilson character, he's you know, he's not the brightest bulb, like I was saying, so he can't pick up on any of this nuance. But of course, you know, 500 years in the future, when uh, based on the premise, you know, everyone dumbs down, then he's kind of left being the smartest guy, and uh, it was, was kind of funny because they said that uh, they couldn't find a, 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 a an applicant or a um, someone within the army that would fit the criteria who was a female. Who, you know, was the average, the middle of everything, didn't have any family or friends or, or, uh, whatever his criteria was to, to get sucked into this program, but they had to find her as a, you know, a street prostitute with a, with a pimp upgrade. Oh, right, because she was average, right? That's why she was brought in. Right, yeah. And, and yeah, they just yeah. had to, like, pay her pimp or something for, <laughs> for her services. You gotta pay upgrade, man. And then, yeah, for the most of the movie, she's worried about upgrade coming after her 500 years in the future, because she'll find a way. right right because she says something like you know every time uh, if I don't have his money the next
1: day he comes after me
0: yeah there was a good there's a funny scene um, how much easier it is to be a prostitute in the future everybody's so stupid because she's got a dumb guy who gives her money and doesn't never expect sex in return (laughs) or lives off the promise of it in the future yeah it was like he was paying her to have him wait it was weird Uh, but then eventually that's what she gets arrested for right for um, not having sex with a guy so right. Not, not, f- not fulfilling money. Her, not not right. fulfilling her uh, contractual obligations. Right. Yeah. It's kind of funny. Yeah, and then uh, later on, towards the end, when she reunites with Not Sure in that uh, Brando field, they go into this gully and uh, say that they're going to have sex to to get away from the group, and the the guards come up and like, did she did she have sex? Do we need to force her to do it? <laughs> or can we go family style? <laughs> what was that for? All oh, right. That. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's a funny movie. Um, I got to say it was a little bit uncomfortable watching it with my my aunt and uncle, but, you know, that's the way it goes. I remember it being a lot funnier back in the day, uh, probably just watching it, you know, among people and my peers. But, you know, it's all good. Yeah, if I recall during our first episode of this back in December, you had not seen it in the recent years, right? So it was mostly based Correct. on what I was talking about. And that's probably why we only talked about the movie for 10, 15 minutes and just shot the shit for another hour on top of that. That's right. So how does it work when you, um, when you do this voodoo thing that we've been doing lately? So I've got this library of stuff and you have access to it. You can download when you're, you know, wherever you have the internet. Nope. Really? The voodoo app does not download for me. I hit download and it just says scheduling download and then it never happens. So I can either watch it on my phone, watch it on my tablet or watch it on the TV there, which is any, any smart TV. You can load the voodoo app, but it happens to already have the voodoo app on it. So I just logged in and fired it up.
1: Okay, so
0: it's like a, a glitchy thing for you then because the downloads tend to work on mine. Because occasionally what we'll do is, uh, if I'm pressed for time and, and we're driving somewhere, I'll, I'll have my wife drive and I'll watch a movie uh, in the car because we live so far out. You know, I, I usually get a good 45 minutes to an hour at a time where I could do something like that. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. What, what do you download it to? Uh, just my phone. Huh. Android, you know, running yeah. uh, 6.0, whatever that one is, Marshmallow, I think. Shit, I don't know. I got the same thing. I don't know why it doesn't work. Have you done the, uh, you know, the old um, Control-Alt-Delete, blue screen to death, restart, clear your cookies? Uh, wh- what else do you do? Um, you can't do that on an Android. You can restart it, though. What about uh, deleting the app and, and reinstalling it? I have not tried doing that, but it's not that important to me. I mean, if I get desperate, I could, I suppose. Yeah, you got solutions. I would like to be able to download it and then come back over here and watch it, but I do enjoy that all three of us are essentially in a tiny little room doing this podcast. I'm in a tiny little room. You're in a little shipping container. Adam's in a little
1: shipping container, basically.
0: <clears throat> yeah, Adam's back me? now. Yeah, we can hear you now. Sorry, I had uh, muted you while you were off on your adventure of getting a headset.
1: Okay. Well, your uh, your visuals still frozen.
0: Oh, okay. I can see me, but I can't see you. And I your eyes hear.
1: are closed, and you have a really funny look on your face.
0: Uh, that's pretty that's normal for me. That's something that Robert's going to use for our next uh, piece of art. He, he does the artwork, <laughs> and he always uses some terrible image of me. Well, the one you
1: selected, sir. Wait, the one of the two of you together where he's got his hand up? Yep, that's, he didn't like it. That's awesome. That's Thanks, awesome man. Graphic.
0: Well, Daniel hates it. Well, then he has terrible taste. <laughs> yeah,
1: obviously. that's what I said.
0: I said, I'm going to put this up because it's awesome, and he's like, okay, I guess, but I look dumb, and I'm like, no, yeah, you don't. that one. Well, yeah, he I, does look yeah. kind of dumb. Well but that can't be
1: helped. That's because you threw it.
0: Can I make that face again? You make that oh, you face wait. all the time. You can't see me, Adam. Oh, man. So wait, what kind of internet are you rocking over there? Is it, is it like a DSL thing? Is it a satellite? What, what's going on? Uh, with at you?
1: my place, I have microwaves.
0: Okay, so that's like line of sight?
1: Yeah, line of sight to Mount Williams.
0: Okay. Uh,
1: well, we've lost visual
0: on you, but we still have audio, so that's, that's hmm. good enough for me. Um, okay. we've, we've had you on for a while, and, and the Patreon people are going to... Get that visual already. <laughs> they know what you look like by now. And, uh, I'll, I'll just keep mine on. It's fine, whatever. Uh, so we were just shooting the shit a little bit. I don't know if you could still hear us while yep. you were getting ready. Um, but we I were just kind of- Oh, okay. All yeah. Right. So you're like our third listener. Thank you. Thank yeah. you for listening. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> so actually, we, we get a few, uh, a few hundred downloads of each show, so it's- I don't know if that's like good or bad it's, it's enough to keep us going though you know cuz we're So hold. Yeah, exactly. I mean we were it's having con- conversations anyway. So we just started recording them about a year ago. So if anyone anyone listens other than you know our boys in the NSA, uh we figure that's a small victory.
1: Well, hey, if the is listening, that's really the most important audience. Those are the ones you need to convert and get them to quit their jobs. Yeah, you know, that's What's a really that good
0: match? point. We we had those conversations maybe three or four years ago when, you know, it was before Snowden, I think, but post-Alex Jones talking about it for years. And so we were always on on our phone calls. We were like, well, if they're going to listen in, we might as well talk about shit that m- might sway them.
1: You can't play scenes from the movie now?
0: Uh, I I probably can. Should 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 I do that? I
1: don't know. I feel like we have to now. We're going to talk about a movie some much, We got to like include parts of it. At least like watch the setup and you know to, up to the explanation of the the garbage avalanche.
0: Okay, give me a moment. I'll get that going. Uh, you and Robert converse, and I will try to pull that up.
1: Whisper, whisper, talk, talk, whisper. Talk amongst yourselves. I'll give you a topic. What's your topic? <laughs> Roads go. Why are they so flat? <laughs> We're supposed to sound smarter than that. Come on, we can do better. Uh, <laughs> what part of the federal what? government would you abolish first? Mm, they're all so useless. Oh,
0: I've got a good answer for that.
1: Education. That
0: thing's a dumpster fire.
1: No, they I mean, My father,
0: yeah. my father I was a I was a teacher, and he used to tell me all kinds of stories, just endlessly, about every every year the the Department of Education would come up with some new way to teach, and I put that in quotation marks. Right. Where they would come and explain how all the new everything you know, everything you've been doing your whole career is wrong, and you have to follow this new curriculum, this new way of talking, and it was all about exposing the kids to the material and not actually seeing if they actually could know or learn about it. And, it's just a huge mess. What, what's your uh, what's your number one there? Are talking to me
1: or Adam? Yeah. I'm talking to Adam. I'm talking, we're talking amongst ourselves, Dean. Get the fuck out of here.
0: Oh, man, I totally tell these.
1: Well, yeah, okay, so you say Department of Education, and I don't know that there is a singular right answer, but there are definitely some that are higher priority than others, and Department of Education is not one of them. I would have to say, like, either the military or the CIA or the IRS. Mm, those are all mm. good choices. Or the Federal Reserve, you know, something like, like education is, is like a supplemental enabling racket, but the war machine, the banking system, you know, taxation, those are like, essential to the government racket you know the the screwery of uh the cia and, and maybe the fbi is not so big a player or like the nsa but even the nsa is, is more is, is a big supplementary one at this point
0: well but i mean those things are all very immediate but the you have to have the indoctrination in order to keep this scam going long term though
1: don't you think yeah there's it's it, it, it is i mean they're all sort of foundational you know and and education is definitely one that touches all of them. But yeah. I, I I think that's too slow. You know, like people are dying right now <laughs> to cut the military. You know like, true, people yeah. are being, you know what I mean? Like you, you yeah. stop that you know, half the corruption of the education system goes away. Like you end the IRS, you just say government cannot tax. This isn't to say government is abolished or you know ethical or anything else, but just government cannot tax. You know, ninety percent of it goes away. Um, sure. Government. Oh yeah, I agree. Okay, I totally America agree with you. To be a priority. If you get rid of the IRS, you get
0: rid of the funding, you get rid of the spending, and yes, yeah, the whole house of cards collapses. I agree
1: for sure. But I think here's the thing. Here's like the foundation of the strategy messaging-wise of running for president on the platform of dissolving the federal government is that you're actually more likely to convince people to just do away with this whole layer rather than to dial it down to exactly where you want it because one of the cool things about localization is that your vote and your voice are now more relevant in how you're governed if you're going to be governed right you're going to be governed more locally and your preferences are going to actually make a difference so i think we're 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 able to really bring people together on this rather than trying to say, well, let's do this because then it brings up all these issues. But to say, hey, there's nothing the federal government is doing that can't be done better at the state level. And the only objection there is not even the conservatives, but the militarists, you know, the big government neocons, the big government interventionist Democrats who who say, you know, we need, you know, we, the founders were wrong. We need to sacrifice liberty for security.
0: Anyway. Hey, so, Adam, you, uh you know, Gary didn't make it into the debates this last cycle. Uh- is there, does the LP have a, a strategy for getting in there? Other than, I mean, what is, is it like you have to say that you can command a certain amount of the vote or what is it?
1: Well, the strategy ultimately, as was shown with Gary Johnson, is mostly up to the candidate. The party is a great platform for anybody who can have the support of the base of that party and the freedom movement in general. And the party has done a great job of, of living up to its role and it's, it's in terms of the presidential debates been filing lawsuits and they've won some at this point in enough critical ways that they're going to have a hard time denying the libertarian nominee if they do a solid job. And I think what's necessary to do a solid job and, and the goal, I mean, is always to win, but I think the realistic uh, achievement in 2020 is going to be to actually poll in the end at around 10%. And if it is Possible by the legal circumstances, get into the presidential debate, and I think the Libertarian Party has done a great job to set the stage for whoever the nominee is in 2020 to succeed on those counts. I think that the platform that we have offered with this is not only the only one that is in line with Libertarian principles, because it's unlibertarian to say I want to be president. It's unlibertarian to say we're going to come up with a policy at this level of government and impose it on the entire country. But it's also uh, in some ways you could accuse this of being a statist answer when I say, yeah, I want states to be, uh, you know, a transition from the federal government. Ultimately, yes, I want government to be localized all the way down to the individual. But yes, I'm not not, uh, prescribing one flavor of statism or another. I'm providing a mechanism for a way out that is not just the most principled, but also the most effective and the one that's most likely to get the American people's attention in a meaningful way. Because they don't, well, I, they understand that, that politics is a racket, that most of the time you're asked to vote, it, it's a waste of time, and, and you're, you're fighting over different flavors of corruption. And they understand that, and when you provide them a real option, you know, a solution that's as big as the problem, the enthusiasm that I've gotten for this so far, just talking to people on the street has been incredible. I've even been endorsed by Elvis Presley, at least a, a guy <laughs> who <laughs> thought he was Elvis Presley. And, and know, Tupac? And, yeah, Tupac. Well, a hologram of Tupac, to be fair. Alright,
0: so I got uh, one. I got one. Uh, and, and this was an answer that I heard a couple of years ago and I thought was really good their response was if you were the you know new president supreme dictator king whatever what's the first thing that you would change and he said I would remove all of the mechanisms by which they can gather statistics so essentially blind the state because they they collect statistics okay. and, and other measures to justify programs and actions to quote unquote help people or, or different groups and uh, so it gives them a um, sort of a, a a uh, self-fulfilling justification process to justify any program that they have, that they want to have, that they can dream up. And so his idea was essentially blind the state. So don't give them any content that they can use to to um, utilize, to create new programs and help. Because that's the last thing you want to hear, right? That was the Ronald Reagan quote, like, hey, we're here from the government.
1: I'm from the government and I'm here to help. Yeah,
0: exactly. All right. So uh, while we were while you guys were chatting, I got the the movie playing in the background now um, on screen. It's playing um, at a higher. Yeah, I'm speed. not paying
1: attention. I'm trying to watch you guys are saying. I'm trying to watch the movie. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and I, I can make it play a little bit faster if if this jogs any memories for you, Adam. While we're going through, and our, our again our Patreon people can see this. Um, but while while you were getting your um, getting your headset, we were talking about the beginning scene where the army commander guy had to befriend the pimp upgrade. He was spelled it with two Ds for the double dose of the pimping. And we thought that was one of the kind of funnier parts of the movie. So we wanted to kind of rewind our show a little bit to, to bring that in. Because the all pimp these, love is know, totally so different from the square. All of these
1: characters, all all of these actors are just cast so well and so enthusiastically perfect in their roles. And, and the, the guy who played the officer here is a great example of that. Jesus Collins. This is one of those movies where like the first three minutes just covers a, a huge backstory. I like that. They get it out all at once. Right, where they
0: show like the, the buildings that are tied together with ropes that are collapsing. Uh. And- there's a big... Yeah, the whole uh,
1: sequence. Well, the sequence, it starts with, like, the football players and, and, like, the the smart couple not having kids.
0: Oh, that's already played through. That was the very, very beginning.
1: What? Well, did I get the sequence off? Well, let's start with that then. That's the best sequence like, of, of the whole movie, I think. The big setup.
0: Okay, I'll bring that back. So, here we go. Yeah, these guys right here?
1: Yeah. Yeah, okay. I'm, I had a sequence right the first time.
0: Okay, here we go. Now, of course, the audio version of the show, people won't be able to see this, but essentially this is the opening montage talking about how a process of evolution had been growing the intellect of or the IQ of people over time people been getting smarter and they all have these futuristic visions of things but then they intersplice like images of Joey but Foucault, and other really dumb things and then they get into this case study contrasting the two two different couples or a couple and, and a, uh alpha male dude who gets a very large family tree in short order. And how did he do that, Daniel? Well, he he thought that his uh, wife was on the pill or some shit, and she wasn't. <laughs> he goes to court because he's arrested for not paying his hospital bill. Then he goes to jail because his lawyer is the absolute worst who, who hates him and wants him to go to jail, essentially. And then uh, he escapes prison by just getting in the other line, saying, I'm in the wrong line. And then, uh, <laughs> oh, no, I'm supposed to leave. And then he runs out, and, yeah, they're terrible at catching him. Um, and then, let's see, in jail, he gets the tattoo, and he takes the IQ test, which is like putting a square block and a round peg, saying how many buckets there are. I mean, just the stupidest quiz ever. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, it, well, one thing is kind of interesting, though. I mean, he basically goes to jail because he doesn't have enough money, just like a debtor prison. So I don't know if you want to talk about that. I mean, the morality and the ethics of not being able to pay Therefore, you go to jail. I mean, you're really not going to be able to pay back that debt by going to jail. I suppose unless you have some sort of prison job, but it would be you'd be served much better. You pay back your debt much better if you were left out in the in the open market, being able to provide value there. Yeah, and I think that they in the court case they premised it as he was stealing the services of the hospital because they they presented as he robbed a hospital. So not necessarily a Mm debtor's prison, but that he partook of services and then did not pay for them. So it was theft. And I have a personal story related to that. Um, my now wife and I, when we were initially dating, we went to this festival out in the San Juan Islands, this music festival. And during one of the um, off periods of, of, of time, we went to another part of the island to do some kayaking. And we go kayaking for like an hour and they charge you by the hour. And we, we realized while we're out there that I only have like $17 in my wallet and a credit card. And the... Um, the person doesn't accept credit cards, and it was like thirty dollars an hour for this thing. And so my my girlfriend at the time was like, "Well, let's just you know beach these like near near the receptacle point and then leave." And I was like, "You want to steal kayaking?"
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, so we ended up going to some grocery store and using using an ATM card and paying like an extra five dollar fee to get the money out, and then and then pay this lady because I wanted to be an upstanding person, you know.
1: Good for you, Daniel. Living up your principles.
0: See, this sequence yeah. is
1: later on in the film. There's two, there's two, like, time lapse future sequences.
0: Yeah, Adam, you're referring to the, um, Bow My Balls and Dak Shepard's character and, uh, mm-hmm. sitting there watching it on the Violence Channel and then Joe, Joe Bowers, not sure his pod opens up. There's, like, this cascade of garbage. There's a scene later on when he's got the cops coming after him as he's basically escaping and he realizes that, uh, he needs to get to the time machine. So he's got his lawyer, I think driving him to a time machine, but he sees the Maya Rudolph character. But he's got the cops chasing him, and he's like, get in the car. And she says, you got the cops after you, and you made me get in the car? Uh, that's Uh Yeah, that's a total dick move, I think, on his part. I mean, on the one hand, he wants to get her to go in the time machine with him back in time, but you're also involving her in your, you know, it's kind of like the, when our Logan episode, when we were talking about that. Right, they knew they were putting that family at risk, but they didn't even mention it to them. I mean, he did mention it to her, and she's like, what are you doing? I don't want to have the cops chasing after me, too. I think in this case, not sure, determined on finding this time machine and getting them both back. And so he used that as, like, a higher purpose or a a more meaningful thing, especially when he would probably consider that the cops are chasing him for, um, like, not proper reasons. Like, he feels that he's innocent, and so if he can just get them to the time machine, then they can escape from this situation. Right. And what happens is, which is very different than the Logan thing. Yeah, well, somewhat, but I mean, you also have some murderous people chasing after you. I mean, the cops. What, what do the cops do when they when they catch up with the guy? They shoot the car and they blow it up and it catches on fire without even checking if anybody was in it. Yeah, and it, right, yeah, and then there's this whole like mob of people who just start getting excited about it and like cheering it on. And yeah, then uh, it's they break out into like mob violence. Yeah, but how they yeah, the, the that was also like a battery to the car. Yeah, yeah, they do have that ability. Uh, so they have to get out of the car. And you're right, yeah, the cops just start shooting at it right away. And uh, in a way, that's a little prescient, I, I, I would think, because um, I don't believe when this film was made that that was a, um, as common, or at least in the media, seen as much, you know, the the um, police violence that you see reports on all the time now. Right. This is before all the, the Facebook posts of cops shooting people for essentially no reason. Uh, yeah, then they, uh, they go to Costco. <laughs> and there's a greeter there and he says, welcome to Costco, I love you. And then the lawyer's like, yeah, I went to law school here. <laughs> Which is pretty cute.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> See the Costco, like, in the distance from over the hill, it's like this huge building, you know, probably 50 city blocks instead of, I mean, Costco's are pretty big, but and this would be like 100 of them. Yeah, this, is, this thing is a monster. Which I guess is maybe a comment on business consolidation, I don't know, or just the popularity of Costco and how well they service their customers. Uh, I don't know exactly what they're trying to say, other than just, yeah, Costco's are big, so they're even bigger in the future. Yeah, I think it was a matter of exaggeration for a fact in the the movie. Right. But it does bring up a point, I guess there was a a kerfuffle on Twitter, and I got involved in it a little bit today, where Trump was asked a pointed question about Amazon being um, too big or, or too influential or something along those lines, and... People are saying, you know, they need to break it up, trust bust it, like Teddy Roosevelt, because it's, yeah. it's a monopoly, you know, that no one can compete with them. And I responded, they're not a monopoly. They're not restricting supply on anything. They're not offering worse service or higher prices. So there'd be no justification for this to begin with. You know, Amazon is, is doing a great job. They're investing all sorts of capital. They're satisfying so many people's desires. Um, you know, and and it's a, like we were saying earlier, it's a voluntary thing. And That's not to say that that's like the be-all end-all of, of every question, but they're not... Initiating violence. No one's forcing anyone to patronize them. You could, you could shop at Costco. You could shop at Walmart. You could shop at a local mom and pop. It's up to you. But as a consumer, as a as a human being, you're going to economize. I mean, and not just monetarily, but in uh, your effort in in all all different ways of seeking satisfactions. I mean, we're all both consumers and producers beyond a monetary sense. In in every choice and every action that we take. That is a form of payment, and there are all sorts of payment as long as your actions are voluntary. You are getting paid somehow for. Whatever you are doing, you may not view it as such, but you actually are getting paid. You can't necessarily spend it at whatever you're receiving an in income, but you are whether you choose to rest or get more sleep or spend time with your kids or whatever, you are receiving some sort of benefit, or else you wouldn't be doing it. You'd be doing something else. Just like a, a fungible medium, like to to uh, use for satisfactions in the future.
1: Right, it's so stored stored well. You could spend in the future, absolutely.
0: So, Adam, you have any comment at this point on anything?
1: I don't. Know, I'm just kind of enjoying watching the movie, playing it like double speed <laughs> in the background here. I mean, uh, here's here's the scene right here with the cops. I mean, this like in the, the I was like taking in the court scene earlier. The court scene is so classic, and it really is, you know, a commentary on government courts in general and, and the justice system, and just like you know, if we keep going this way, it's going to keep getting worse like this. So I don't know. I I'd say it's it's it is, I don't know. I keep going back to this, oh my god, it could be a pro government movie, but no, no, no way. It's, <laughs> well, I, I would, I would,
0: I mean, I understand they probably wanted to have some kind of a president action figure and whatever do stuff in the movie, but if I think it would be a better anti government movie if he had gone to the Brondo company
1: and explained,
0: you know, maybe you should. Yeah, and
1: Brondo explained it and they made him the CEO and overthrew the government. I don't know. People wouldn't understand that. I guess, like, no, you know, I, I take that back. Some people wouldn't understand it. Just that, uh, I don't know. Maybe Judge isn't, isn't that clever. Well, what do you think? I no, mean, in I the do movie, a-
0: they talk about, um, Brondo buying up the FDA and all that business, and then they're just able to, uh, There was some kind of commentary, some kind of scene. You remember this scene, Daniel, or Adam, where they talk about how Brondo is, like, half the people in the country work at Brondo, and then they were able to buy, like, for some reason, the government sold the FDA and whatever else, other, a couple other, uh, governments.
1: Yeah, yeah, there's, yeah, there's a whole Brondo setup sequence once he gets to the White House here. I think, I think it's still coming up. Yeah, the yeah, yeah like so they show the White House completely barren, like all, everything around it is all uh, dust bowl. And um, I, I think it, it takes—it's funny because it takes them a while to figure it out. And they're like, "Why are the why are the crops not growing?" And then there's a sequence here. I think it's coming up now that sets up what Brondo is.
0: Yeah, I, mean, I can't imagine a government that would like sell off the FDA to a private corporation. But I mean, maybe one that dumb would. Well, I think it's yes, potentially yes, it is already owned by private corporations. Like the revolving door? Exactly. Right, but it's just not overt, right? I mean, it's, they do it all the time, and everybody knows about it, but it's not official, I guess you could say. But yeah, I guess that is the Yeah, it's, it's against their uh, it's against they their. They still have uh, enough shame beams, to try to deny it. it. They, have, right. they
1: have just enough shame to try to deny it. That's a good point. Well said.
0: Yeah, so w- one thing I don't understand is, so they're watering the crops, but then they're also using Bronda for essentially everything else because it's got electrolytes. But why does the fact that Joe recommends that they now start using toilet water on the crops crash Brando stock down to zero? I mean, you would think that it's still being used for, you know, hundreds of other purposes. So why would it go to zero? That didn't make a lot of sense to me. Because
1: people are stupid? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm like, how do they, how are they smart enough to like deal with stocks at all in this world? But no. Or repair any of them. Yeah, yeah, how are they
0: still producing things? It's almost like, uh, if, if the commies got their way, like in the conquest of bread, which we actually have that website now and we're starting to populate with things. But, uh, he basically looks at the, the world as it is and makes these calculations on, okay, there's this many cotton mills in the United States and they produce so many thousand tons of cotton that can, Create so many, you know, other thousands of coats and clothe everyone in, in the world, uh, and we'd only need to work five hours a day. But what he's talking about is a static, like evenly rotating economy that you could, you'd never innovate or grow from. And he's making the argument that the workers should own the equipment, own the machines, and, and own the business because they know how to run the business, they know how to run the machines. But it goes back to, you know, if you don't have a incentive or a possibility to save and invest in capital. There's no uh, ownership, taking risk or entrepreneurial risk, trying new things, inventing new technologies, satisfying new wants, new desires. You're going to be stuck in this, you know, whatever the existing um, status quo is. But it will probably break down from there because without those innovations, without those things changing online, uh, they'll lose the ability to even service the equipment that they have or things will break down. I mean, you always have to maintain your equipment. Yeah, I think though the con, one of the conceits of the movie is yeah, these people are obviously too stupid to repair anything that gets broken or produce anything that's necessary. But, I mean, you got to have some things that they do use in order to satisfy the script. So just put it in there and don't address it. Okay, and, and we're at the scene so is, now the uh, right that now. Adam was talking yeah. about. The Brondo setup. Yeah, it's got what plants crave, it's got what cows crave, it's got what babies crave. And they're using it as a car wash. And, I mean, they're using it for, you know, essentially hundreds of potential uses. So. Uh, it, it goes back to my question of okay, well if they stop watering the crops with it, then why would the stock go to zero? But I think Adam, your point is correct. They probably would see that and being so stupid, think that that Brando is now worthless and uh, not useful for anything anymore, so it would go to zero.
1: See, I think separate from the analysis of like whether or not this is a libertarian or status movie, I think it's a positive message at its core in, in the plot of them being taken over by Brondo and not being able to. to hear basic logic and reason, hey, try water, until they see it work. And they have to be in this position of of being destitute before they can see something that's so obvious. And if anything, I would say that the the biggest application of that in present day reality is to government and we propose the idea of a stateless society and people go, but, but government, it, it's got what people crave. It's got like <laughs> welfare and national security and like roads and stuff. And like without government, you know, who's going to bomb the children with drone strikes? And we're like, uh, no, try, try peace, try freedom, try voluntary Cooperation, you know, and and they go, but 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 government, and it's. I think that the the message of being, you know, open-minded to fundamental change is, you know, like don't get stupid. It's like an anti-stupidity movie in that sense. (laughs) And I think that the biggest stupidity that that's relevant to today. I mean, you could say it's it's corporatism or it's statism, but you know, you'd essentially be talking about the same evils.
0: Yeah, you can't have cronyism without a state, and. I think that that really is one of the the things that both both sides of uh, the traditional political spectrum can point to and say that it's a bad thing.
1: The scene is so awesome too. The uh, rehabilitation one right now. This is just such an epically well done scene. The the whole stadium, the whole arena, the, the chorus of guitars, the, the choir of guitars, all, all that's pretty cool.
0: Yeah, I couldn't stop giggling when I in that last night. The the, <laughs> the, the cars here.
1: that they're all driving and everything is just uh, very amusing. yeah. And then,
0: uh, <laughs> He's got the Yugo yeah, with like the purple would, dildo on it.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah. I think identifying the purple dildo is not too much of a spoiler. Uh,
0: uh, you know, it's it, it's kind of interesting on the Tombstone episode. We were talking about how the color purple now is uh, considered a white power symbol because of some flower or some bird, the trash pigeon that was floating around on Facebook, what? and now. It's, it's part of the 4chan, like, trolling. They'll, they'll say, like, oh, this means white power, and so they'll propagate this, you know, like, the OK symbol, uh spelled, you know, WP or whatever, or this um, purple flower, which was an emoticon on Facebook. They said, oh, this means white power, or now the trash pigeon. Like, they'll, they'll just take some benign thing and convince the left, the snowflake types, that this means something that it doesn't, and then it'll start meaning that. It'll start becoming that.
1: Uh, it's really kind of a crazy so it's like, just
0: trolling like thing, like
1: hyper-trolling yeah. Well, I, I was thinking I would troll all the uh Pepe the Frog people by doing my own comic strip where, like, Pepe the Frog is converted into libertarianism. Like, he starts out as a Trumpian, Trumpkin fascist, and like by the end of the comic strip, is uh like hardcore, handicapped, agorist hippie type. I'd love it.
0: Vegan. Vegan. Yeah, he's or vegan a, too. Yeah, like a vegan of, of convenience, right? Is that how it works for you? Or like, it's a, it's a Vegan, consumer choice possible.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. So we were talking about um, what was it? Uh, people getting bombing, right? Children getting bombed in other countries. And I just wanted to point out that you'll see this on the left, especially now with Trump care being in the in the news. They're they're saying like, oh, millions of people are going to lose their health care, and children will die, and it's a big deal. You know, they say millions will die. This big scare scare tactic point that they talk about, but they don't seem to care about the endless wars or the drone strikes. Or, you know, the climate change thing that they advocate, whereas if those policies were put into place, millions of people around the world who live on the margins, you know, they're, they're literally burning dung for fuel, for heat, for cooking their meals, it would make it that much harder for them to, you know, maintain in their lives. So I, I would I would gather that millions of people would die as a result of these climate change regulations being put into place. And yet those are things that they advocate. So they're not very principled and they're not even um, concerned about the effects, as it were, like... They're, they're concerned about what will happen here at home, like what affects them or the so-called um, disadvantaged or oppressed classes that they that they speak for, but not anywhere else in the world. Right, right. Which smacks of hypocrisy, but you know. Well, that's yeah, that's quo. kind of how it goes. Absolutely. Yeah, there's a there's some like Twitter post that's going viral about a lady who has a child that has like a hundred ninety two thousand dollar bill and saying how that's going to go away and this kid's going to die because what. Obamacare is going to get repealed, supposedly, which it isn't really, and uh, saying that this kid deserves to live and they wouldn't otherwise because people wouldn't support it or she couldn't go into debt and pay it off or uh, – I mean, you're talking about getting rid of a thing, even if it was a repeal, a straight repeal of Obamacare. Are they really saying that people were just dying in the streets before Obamacare? Is that the argument <laughs> that they're trying to
1: make? <laughs> because
0: clearly that's not the case, right? I mean, we had healthcare. Well, I mean, Obama didn't come along and invent healthcare or just give it over to everybody. I mean, we had healthcare; people were fine beforehand. So you give them a thing, and then you take it away a few, you know, years later, and everybody assumes that you're taking away one of their rights or whatever. It's like a horse shit How quickly
1: people get yeah, used I mean, to a thing.
0: Well, that's that incrementalism, right? Like. You, you start forgetting where things were even 10 or 15 years ago. You feel like you're on a, a flat plane, but you're, you're really on this slope of escalating um, dependency and, and intervention. And it just becomes like the, the normal because it's, it's slow enough to where it's not perceptible. Right. Uh, it's just like government does a thing and then people get used to having it. And then you take it away and you're like, oh, am I right?
1: Like, no, <laughs> it's,
0: not, it's not your right. You're talking about either being pro slavery and that the doctor shouldn't get paid, or pro theft because the doctor gets paid through government.
1: I mean, you're, it's one of the two. Pick one.
0: Yeah, so, Robert, just so you're aware, um, Adam and I just watched the movie at three times speed and it's now rolling in <laughs> the credits.
1: <laughs> That's yeah, was a really good
0: movie. <laughs> I should watch more movies like this. Were you able to hear sound, or is it just, just straight? Yeah, you know,
1: it's just really squeaky because it's. It's video, a but I
0: got script. the. Yeah, it's the Alvin and the Chipmunk <laughs> style.
1: Okay.
0: (laughs) They've also got the close captioning on. That's how we watch our movies with with the kids. But you can see the words, right? Mm Mm-hmm.
1: I've, yeah. I think no, I mean, have another... you ever watched
0: this all the way to the end? There's like a little teaser scene at the very end.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, I just want to point out from, from reminding myself of the whole plot here that there's another real positive message that I think is really relevant to my work because, you know, we well, part of it is like we have this fantasy as libertarians that there's going to be some kind of revolution and we're going to go in and save the day and then we're going to get to retire and be heroes, uh, you know, and everybody's going to apologize for ever opposing us or saying that we were wrong about anything but it's not really going to be that way and that doesn't mean you shouldn't persist like you're the best endings are the ones not where the enemies are defeated but where they are rehabilitated if you will to reference the movie again <laughs> and you know led to be uh you know positive forces where you know they're not um they're just not evil anymore and it, it's like they, they don't really in this movie they they you know they make him president uh, I guess that's a uh, that's a bad spoiler, isn't it? I shouldn't say that. But I, I think there's a, there's a good message here yeah, about just being persistent. All, all right. Well, there's going to be a there's there's a positive message about just even when you're the you, you know you, you might be the only one standing on principle or standing on your truth to, to persist in that when you know you're doing the right thing and you know you're helping people. It's uplifting. Yeah. It's family friendly movie.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think it was a it was a good movie. And uh Robert, do you have any other notes? And then we can do our um overall summaries and then start closing this, this show down. We've been on for a little while now and um I think we promised Adam it'd only be three hours and I think we're approaching that now. So thanks for being a good support <laughs> and sticking around with us, my man. No problem. Um well there's just one note at the, the end when um I think it's like uh the beef Supreme or Hector Hector Macho Camacho that's right the president he's like I want you to be my vice president because you figured out how to make the cops grow and uh, not sure is like well I'm sorry I'm gonna have to leave you're gonna have to solve your own problems um, the, I like that message you know take taking that into your own hands and, and solve problems um, I like also the idea that um, you know uh, smart people who have a vested interest in things can solve problems uh, so eh, you know I would have liked it to have been you know not solving the problems through the government and whatnot. But I also don't – I mean, the government is not portrayed in a positive light in this movie, as Adam has, has repeatedly stated, and I, I tend to agree with him. Um, but, uh, you know, of course, then in the end, um, the, the time machine is just a shitty ride that they go on, mm-hmm. and he ends up becoming elected president. They have some kids, some smart kids, which is great. I want to encourage everybody that is intelligent to have kids. <laughs> Um, and and uh, you know, if you're not super intelligent, I still think kids are great. Uh, maybe just uh, teach them about freedom and uh, not so much authoritarianism. So in the end, I think it's it's a fun movie, and I think people should check it out. And it gets a uh, it gets it gets a black and a gold for me. Uh, it's not it's not super strong. I don't think it's a perfect movie, but um, I'm a big fan of My Judge, and uh, and I guess it was also written by one of the Cohen brothers, so that's pretty interesting. But Daniel, what did you think of this movie? I think it was a, a really good movie, and it's fun to watch. Um, like you and Adam have, have been saying, that it, it is entertaining, and, and just watching it again at three times speed. I'm reminded of some of the other uh, cool stuff in it, but we can save it for the third time we talk about this movie. Uh, <laughs> this fly is a, uh, a black and gold for me, and I think it's it's one that's worthy of having in uh, your collection. If you happen to uh, have a movie collection, I've been Moving most of mine to In the Cloud on this uh, Voodoo system, which is, is really cool because it's a, it's a nice way that Robert and I can share the content together because it will give me a, a list of five other people that I can share the movies with. And that might be something that we start doing um, going forward for future guests is we'll try to figure out a way to give them access to the movies uh, prior to the show and then we'll rotate it to the next guest so we won't run into a situation. Um, not everyone has been able to see the, the movie. I mean, our shows still kind of turn out. I mean, it just kind of happens you throw a bunch of stuff at the wall. (laughs) And it's just a bunch of guys chatting, you know, real conversational style. And uh, this has been exemplified uh, tonight. Um, I think that this has been a lot of fun, and I'll turn it over to uh, Adam. Give us your final thoughts on the movie and your rating of a black and gold or a black and red.
1: Well, I first, I have to say you're way too flattering. I totally ruined it by getting all lectury and ranty a couple of times. So if anybody complains, you can totally blame me for this <laughs> podcast mood being to- totally awkward and jacked up. But anyway, about the movie. Yeah, about the movie. So just So Yeah, to not be awkward for a second here. Oh, definitely a, a black and gold Clearly, thumbs up for me. Uh, it was it was really cool considering some of its limitations, and I have to say when I first saw when you pulled up on the screen that Metacritic had it at sixty six percent and Rotten Tomatoes at seventy five, I was disappointed that those numbers were that low. Is that right? Yeah, sixty six and seventy five. And then Google users it says ninety two percent light. I think that's that's more like it. But I'm I'm starting to see like if, if you just you know, I mean it, it I understand why it might have gotten lower scores on some of those platforms. But it's like if you if you accept the premises that it's and it's short, you know, it's an hour and twenty four minutes. It's a short Goofy, entertaining, and funny first, thought-provoking second movie that's done really well. The comedy's top-notch. The execution, the visuals are great. The acting and the casting are superb. The, the writing is more than clever enough to get the job done. I, I think it, it really does deserve, at least, I, I, at first I want to be like, oh, 90, 95. But no, I mean, I get it. I, I still think it should be closer to, you know, an 85 than, than a 75.
0: I'm gonna go with the 97 there, Adam. Okay.
1: Well, I agree with you, 97%.
0: <laughs> and it looks better than, what did you say, a 2 to $4 million budget? That's, that sounds like, that's like chicken feed these days. Yeah, well, in than... 2006,
1: you could still make a quality movie like this for that much, but today, that's, that's micro budget.
0: Yeah, I mean, you gotta pay your actors something, don't you? I mean,
1: you gotta you gotta yeah, put some of that money on yeah, the this, screen. Yeah, it feels like an A-list movie to, to me. I mean, limited, yes, cheesy, yes, but it feels, it's executed so well, you would think th- that the budget was somewhere, you know, closer to 10 to $20 million.
0: Yeah, maybe they paid them in the bills I got up on the screen, the uh, $10 million <laughs> <Yeah.
1: hauling laughs> I mean, said, getting paid we, money. We're gonna, <clears throat> when we're done with this movie, we're going to invent a time machine, because we're going to have to make a time machine for the movie, and we'll go back in time and put, like, $10 in an interest accruing account for you, and then next week it'll be worth, like, half a million dollars. Yeah, I like All money. Right. I like money. Yeah, that's really good. (laughs) I like money. Donate to their Patreon if you're if you're subscribed. Bump it up. Bump it up.
0: All right, patreoncom slash Rothbard. That's going to be. Don't
1: wherever the link is. Go up your up your contribution if you're watching because you make these productions possible it's not gonna you can't depend on youtube or advertisers and it's it's been if i I may on my experience here it's one of the reasons that i've really backed off production because there was a point in 2013 late 2012 early 2013 when my revenue went from three dollars per thousand views to one dollar per thousand views and i was doing you know a million and a half two million views a month at that point mostly with fresh content and i was building a business around it you can't and then and then you couldn't count on it and recently um my, just a couple months ago, my revenue got cut even further and now I'm only making a few hundred dollars a month, even though I'm still getting a million views a month from all my old videos, even, you know, when I don't post any new ones. So, I mean, I've, I've been slowly building up my Patreon. I've shifted my focus from media production to activism to, to working on promoting the book into my presidential campaign. But it is, it is a long-term investment in the movement to support media productions like this one.
0: Thanks for the plug. <laughs> Yeah, you know, honestly, we do it anyway. But uh, any little help that comes along the way is mostly just encouragement at this point. Uh, you know, just it's a it's a sign to us. It's a market signal that tells us we're doing the right thing. That somebody is appreciative of what we're doing. I mean, I got a day job. Robert's writing a book. So we're, we're and we were having okay, these conversations anyway.
1: Okay, fine, 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 man, fine. If not to this production, donate to my Patreon or donate to somebody else's. Fine. If they don't want the money, don't get the you no, know, just somebody. Just support people you're watching, support support shows that you enjoy and appreciate being out there.
0: Yeah, that's a good message. You know, use the market, determine who you want to support. If it's Adam, go for it. If it's us, go for it. If it's someone else, go for it. If it's all of us, even better
1: Tom Woods Podcast another great show that deserves plenty of support from people out there who care about the message getting out on the internet in, in a really intellectual academic way support Tom Woods <laughs> oh you
0: like money and sex dude we should hang out
1: <laughs>
0: uh, maybe we shouldn't
1: actually, You're tripping me out right you, now <laughs> it's just three dudes sitting in a room
0: <laughs> are they working out or having sex <laughs> that's
1: it <laughs> but, Is that an Adam Sandler reference? Is that
0: what that is? Yeah, I think so, yeah, yeah.
1: One of the CDs, yeah. Yeah,
0: they're all going to laugh at you, I think. That that was uh, 95, I think.
1: Oh, wow, we are dating ourselves.
0: Indeed we are. Well, hey, Adam, uh, thanks again for for coming on. We really do appreciate it. Uh, Why don't you give our audience uh, a few ways to follow you and get in touch with you, and uh, then we will uh, say our final housekeeping on our end and shut her down.
1: Well, thank you so much, brother. I appreciate the opportunity. This has been fun. And uh, right now, I'm just so excited to see that people are taking this joke seriously because the idea of me running for president started as a joke uh, about five years ago. And I kept joking about it so much that people started taking it seriously. And then they started taking it so seriously that at some point I had to start taking it seriously. And slowly but surely it's been coming together. And the platform has shown itself to be extremely pragmatic and of extremely broad appeal and yet perfectly in line with the principles of the philosophy of freedom. And right now we are signing a delegate. We are taking donations. We are organizing a tour. We are working on—I mean—the the travel schedule for the next three years is awesome. We're going to have at least three more books coming out between now and 2020, maybe a fourth. Um, I'm just—everything's really clicking for me right now. I'm—I'm I'm so psyched to, to feel a part of humanity moving forward right now, moving past government. It's just such an exciting time to be alive. So if you want to get this, if you haven't, you know, and I assume most of your audience is pretty darn woke, but if if there's anybody who's listening who wants to get to the bottom of the rabbit hole as quickly as possible, it's a 100-page book, free in every digital format possible, including audiobook at thefreedomline.com. And of course, if you go there, thefreedomline.com, you can find kokesh or not president.com and all the fun ways to get involved with that and find me on all the social media places and whatnot as well so thanks so much guys really appreciate the opportunity and, and to everybody listening don't forget to support the shows you appreciate on patreon like this one all
0: right well thank you very much adam and we'll include uh, links to all of that stuff that you mentioned in our show notes page uh including the uh the freedom book which is one that um i haven't read yet so i will i will do that i, I do recall seeing a video of you getting pulled over by a uh, by a cop and uh, you had a copy of the book, I guess, Visible, and he knew who you were.
1: Yeah, yeah. That was kind of fun.
0: So i to a, get out of the ticket. Yeah, I'll post a link to that down there, too. It's kind of fun to watch uh, watch your videos. You do some great stuff, man.
1: Well, thank you very much.
0: All right, folks. Well, this has been the uh, Actual Anarchy Podcast, the session day special for the 4th of July. Our guest has been Adam Kokesh, uh, the movie with Idiocracy. You can find the show notes page at actualanarchy.com. 30. Uh, we run ActualAnarchy.com, Com, and now Conquest of Uh I think we're going to be implementing a new show for that that will be called The Bread Line, and that will be refuting it chapter by chapter, all 17 chapters of The Conquest of Bread with a rotating uh, guest in a 30- uh, to 45-minute format, and that will be at ConquestOfBread.com. It'll be about a six-month project, so look for developments as they uh, develop. Yeah, something like that. So, Robert, you got any uh, final words for our audience before we say goodnight? I just want to thank our guests. It was a great time. Um, I've been Robert Paul Johnson, and uh, hug somebody you love, baby. All right, everyone. It's got electrolytes.
1: It's got electrolytes. got, got a plant's grave. Cow's grave.
0: Baby's grave. <laughs> Good night, everyone.